listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb going to slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On the big, nice burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. We are back in the booth at the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, we got to get this out of the way. First things first, Stony Buds, how are we doing today? So good, my dog. Love it. <laughs> to my left, we got Barrett Christie in the booth. Barrett, how are we doing today? I'm doing so good. Love that. Let's give her the applause. Yes. Let's go applause on him. Maybe a little air horn in there, too. Good combo. Well, this is going to be a big episode. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Barrett, she is one of the most decorated snowboarders of all time. She's won everything from X Games, the U.S. Open, big mountain contests, videos, inventor of the Barrett Roll. She's won Rider of the Year. She's had a pro model for a zillion years with GNU. Uh, she crushes marketing and product over at Mervin with GNU, Lib, and Roxy as well. Um, she's like a life mentor, snowboard mentor, successful in business. She's basically broken down the barriers for women's snowboarding and just done so much for snowboarding in general that we we got a lot to talk about. And she's just an overall boss. So to start this off, Barrett, um, you know, where are you from and how did you find snowboarding? <laughs> I'm from Pennsylvania. So I grew up outside of Philadelphia and uh, I did not find snowboarding until I was about 19. Uh, my first trip to California, I went to, I went to Tahoe and ended up living there for a couple seasons and brought my skis and was like thinking I wanted to be a, you know, 80s mogul skier and <laughs> I thought I had so what it sick. takes. <laughs> um, but Luckily, I saw snowboarding because I sucked at skiing, and, and I saw these guys, like Sean Palmer and his crew. It was a pretty awesome first experience, like first entrance to snowboarding, seeing that kind of scene in South Lake. And I picked it up at that point because it just looked like it was easier and more fun, and everybody I saw around me I, was more relatable. And so I started then. And then back in 94, it seems like pretty quick, you, you made it to nationals. Like you were pretty, like how long were you snowboarding before you figured out like getting to nationals? Yeah, I think, I mean, I probably started snowboarding in 1990, 91, and then moved from, so I had two seasons in Tahoe and then went to Crested Butte. And Crested Butte in Colorado was pretty epic mountain, still is, I'm sure. I haven't been there in years, but uh, it just took like steeper terrain, natural terrain, and taught me how to hold my edge and, and actually like, I mean, most of the people I was friends with there actually were skiers. And so chasing them around and, and learning just how to hold my speed and, and just navigate natural terrain was probably the best training for me, if you want to call it training. It's definitely didn't think of it as training back then. But um, and I and I also like met enough people that came through town that told me about Summit County and like started opening my eyes to what snowboarding was beyond that area and or that arena. And so I went to Breckenridge, did a pipe comp contest, like tried to figure it out in a weekend. There were actually two pipe contests in a weekend. There's only like five girls. I think I got second or third and I, I qualified me for nationals. So then I went 
tried to put a little more time in between like February and April and then went to nationals in April that year. Were you like going to college at this time or were you just being a ski bum? Or? Yeah, I was going to Western State ah, okay. when I lived up there. And I was being a bum and I worked in restaurants, but I managed to snowboard every day and, you know, mostly had classes in the morning and would go ride and then work at night. Because it's interesting, people didn't go out there thinking they were pursuing a snowboarding career, right? You were just no, like the career wasn't on yeah. my radar then. It was just I just wanted to go. I mean, I kind of like my taste for travel started when I was in high school, and I would go to dead shows, and so respect, yeah, chasing the dead around, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't so much that I was a hyper fan; it was more like just that lifestyle of traveling around the world and and. Or not around the world. I mean, around the country, which expanded my view of the world at the time. And uh, and just getting to, like, you know, go to different places. It was kind of like the festival lifestyle of today. I mean, half the time I didn't even go in to the show. It was, like, just sort of part of the scene that was fun. I love that. And I was uh, doing some research, and it seems like you did, like, big mountain contests back in the day, too. Like, the U.S. Extreme, you won... I was kind of thinking about your skill sets. Like you grew up when you found snowboarding, you're riding Crested Butte, you're riding like like actual natural terrain, learning how to rip the mountain. And then you have this gymnastics background, which I feel like helps with air awareness and stuff like, and that kind of, would you say that that's a good little formula that helped you when you got into riding slope style and half pipe and stuff? Yeah, for sure. Gymnastics. I mean, I did that from probably the age of five till 13 and kind of got to the point where it needed to be like I needed to make that decision is this going to be something I'm committed to or not and I wasn't committed I think I I had to miss like two weeks I got mono or chicken pox or something like that and and I remember that two weeks setting me so far back and and my mom being like do you really want this and and then I wanted to play field hockey I wanted to play lacrosse I wanted to ride horses so I kind of got out of it but I do think that laid the foundation for you know, strength, like my muscle memory and, and just balance for sure. We asked you earlier off air, uh, best advice ever received. And it kind of pertains to this. I thought it was, it was, uh, really insightful. Yeah. I think that best advice received as it relates to snowboarding or really life in general is look ahead and don't, I think I, I learned that from gymnastics. Certainly like you can't focus on you know, the next step in front of you, you have to focus on 10 steps in front of you. If you're on the balance beam, you have to look at like the end of the beam. You don't look at right below your feet because that'll trip you up. And, um, and I think that pertains to whether you're in slope style or in the pipe, you're not, you know, you don't look at, you're always looking at your next move ahead and certainly in like the bank slalom. And, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that in life in general, but you know, like look ahead, like set your goals, ahead whether it's big picture or just the next move you're going to make mm -hmm. i remember back in colorado with the log scene you have to look through oh the totally because you get to the end if you're looking at the if you're looking at the end of it you fall off if you're looking through it yeah and past and ahead you make it the whole, There's the whole way through a few times where it clicked and, yeah and i was like okay this is like balance right you know gymnastics yeah. definitely helped with the log riding yeah, it's got to be the same with like balance beams and stuff yeah huh? except for logs are like jagged and yeah 
a lot of different the obstacles along the way. Obstacles, with them. <laughs> yeah. And especially going fast in the bank yeah. slalom, like in a corner, you don't want to look right where you're going. You want to look past the corner, you know, look right. out. And and in slope style, I've been told by, I've gotten some uh, asked for advice from some of those U.S. coaches when I'm like riding the jumps at High Cascade. And, and I believe like maybe it was Pops or Dave Reynolds. They're like, you know, don't look at the knuckle, look down the landing. And you're like, whoa. Because I, I think I was like coming around backseat on a bunch of stuff. And it like it really puts you into the landing when you're looking like, all right, we're going down there. We're not just making it to the knuckle. You know? Yeah. I think you look at the knuckle, you're going to land on a knuckle. Yeah, Facts. I've done that too. Yeah. <laughs> and you could even get real deep with it and say, look ahead in life and yeah. figure it out. Uh, you know, there's something there too. And you're going to get through it. Okay, let's go back to riding here. So you're, you know, doing nationals, and it seemed like pretty shortly after that you were getting right into U.S. Opens and bigger contests. Yeah, it's a little blurry. I had to do some research too <laughs> before coming here. I mean, yeah, nationals propelled me into thinking like, okay, well, I managed to win the pipe. We didn't have slope in nationals that year, and so I won pipe. But then I kind of thought like border cross was coming up. There was some can't remember it was like um butterfinger series or something like that where there was a border cross series and and i thought this is it this is like freestyle and speed and all the things that i should be good at but actually wasn't very good at it at all and um so i did a few of those but about 95 i think they brought the first ux extremes to crested butte and i was still hanging around in colorado and just thought that was you know, of course, it was my whole mountain. I'm going to go back. And luckily, like, there was great snow. All the, the runs that we had to do were lines that I knew really well. So I kind of had an advantage. And I won that and then thought, okay, next stop, Alaska. But then I went to the next, I don't know, the uh, King of the Hill. And I sucked at that. because <laughs> It wasn't my whole mountain. And it was totally out of my comfort zone. But so I never really thought of myself as a big mountain rider, but in the right terrain with, you know, familiarity with it, I, I could do well. But then you're also at the same time, like I was watching old footage, you ripping McTwists and those old eight foot half pipes. It was so <laughs> sick to watch. Uh, and you had, did well in the open that, I mean, that's got, that had to be, huge. what year was that when you did well in the open? 97. Okay. So that was a little later. My, my timeline's a little 97 off, and 98. Yeah. A little blurry. But yeah, the um the open. I think the first time I went, I it really wasn't open. Like you had to go from round one to, you know, just to get to where you're competing with the pros. And and I don't think I made it past round one the first time I went out there. And that was probably right after nationals. And then the next time I went, maybe ninety six. I think I did a little better. And then ninety seven, they had big air for the first. I think it was the first time they cut slalom or something, and they did big air instead. And so pipe and slope or no no slope or I don't know <laughs> they did pipe and big air but um yeah and I did well that year so how did you get there's because there's something funny I want to go back to with that but how did you who was your first sponsor how, how did your like look into sponsorship life come about oh yeah that was when I was living in Crested Butte and uh, uh a friend or the Mervyn rep in the Rocky Mountains at the same time, Matt Remine came to visit his bros in Crested Butte and we all went out riding and and I remember just being like, whoa, this guy's really good and he thinks I'm good and he kept encouraging me to like go, you know, you should maybe 
go take some trips or go down to Summit County, go see what other people are doing. Like you've got the skills, you don't have the tricks, but you got some skills. Like gave me a board and that like first free board was kind of like, I, I felt like I was sponsored, but it took a lot after that to get to where I was actually in with the company. What company was it? Did you mention it? Mervin. Oh, so oh, Lip, LibTech. It was, all the it was way. my first board. Yep. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. You've been with them since day one. Yeah, I have. Um, I think I rode K2s before that because, oh, okay, yeah, way back before that, I wasn't sponsored at all. But a friend of mine, Rob Justina, was the first one to take me out snowboarding. And uh, and he got me, like, managed to get me a K2 board because he was somehow plugged in with the K2 crew. And it was actually a Dan Donnelly, like a mini Donnelly. Nice. And uh, and I loved that board, and it was awesome. But eventually it broke. But K2 had a really awesome warranty program, and I sent it back and got another one. So for a couple of years, I think I was getting K2 boards, but not because I was sponsored, <laughs> just because they kept breaking. But actually, I didn't. it didn't register at the time who Dan Donnelly was, even just that they had a mini Donnelly. So they had a 145, I think, or maybe 49. And, and, uh, and then... Fast forward to, like, the last few years. Like, I get to ride with Donnelly up at Baker, and he's such an awesome human. And and he actually went out of his way and gave me one of his old Donnelly boards, like mini Donnelly, so I have one in my collection now. Wow, you have the first board you ever rode. That's cool. I wish I had the first LibTech like, I ever rode, though. I don't have one of those. Do you remember what board it was? It was an Acme. Wow. Yeah. And you never, like, Temple a, has one. I mean, a, has Temple them? has one. I just don't have the one that I rode with. The exact graphic. And you never had a different sponsor along the way. It was all Mervin. No, it was all Mervin. Incredible. Um, there was there was a moment I think somebody was like trying to talk me into writing for I don't even remember. I think it was Sims, way back Sims. And and I just like it was an easy choice just because I connected with the people and like you gotta feel at home with mm-hmm. the whole crew. And by that point, like Matt Remind was such a great inspiration and introduction to the brand, but then you know, this is pre-cell phones, pre, you know, I remember being at phone booths, like trying to call the team manager. Page and the team tell manager. Tell them what I'm doing and like ask if I could like get another board or a t-shirt or something. And uh, that was Paul Farrell. And I still work with Paul now. And then Nick Russian too was, was the team manager at some point there. And, and so like by that, you know, by the first couple of years, I got introduced to those guys and got to go on a couple trips and yeah. A lot of lifers over there, huh? I know. I knew that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny thinking about brands. I was talking about that. I could have rode for Sims, could have rode for whoever. But brands are, when you boil it down, it's just like the people that work for them. Mm-hmm. That's what the brand is. Well, and it's, it's the like, relationships. Yeah, the yeah. relationships. Exactly. The humans. I love that. And you guys seem to have a tight crew over there. Yeah. And we also had like, there were girls before me. And I saw that and it, it showed me that this was like definitely something that the company was invested in and. Amy Howitt in the 80s, world champion. She was, you know, top in in the sport. She had a cover in the 80 or 88, 89. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I saw what, you know, that she had that place at GNU and she was even helped. They were designing a board around her and with her influence. And then also with LibTech, uh, Cersei was there before me. And... Uh, and Ingrid Gunderson. And, like, there were all these girls already there that I aspired to be more like. And so like, that was important. I didn't see that at other brands. And I definitely have been chasing Cersei ever since. 
That's so cool. Go, going back to uh, the 1997 Open, uh, there's an ad that I saw that was absolutely incredible. It was a GNU ad. And then big, bold letters in the top, it says, Barrett Christie rides like a girl. And then it said, first place U.S. Open, half, uh, US Open half play, first place big air. And then it says GNU. And in small letters, it says, start practicing, sissy boy. <laughs> under the <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> and just like, the, yeah, they're just the different times. But uh, different time. <laughs> it seems like you were you were kind of the, the marquee pro for GNU for a number of years, like with all the ads and everything. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I was the one doing those contests at the time. And and there was, you know, photographers around. And, and I remember that ad. It was a girl in the sky, right? You just mm -hmm. saw the crowd of people looking up. One of the people in that crowd was Eddie Wall. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's a fun photo. fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he told me that. I'd not, I think we met then, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There was, it, like I said, it's a blur. But D Danny Cass was coming up, and he was definitely, like, would take that to the next level. But, uh, but yeah, with GNU. So there was a period of time that, uh, you know, GNU was present front and center that was pete and mike brought that to life and then and then gnu kind of got off for reasons i won't even get into but got shelved for a little while and libtech came about and then um and then then they brought gnu back so i was writing for lib 93 94 i got some lib boards but then by 95 they were like well we're bringing gnu back and here's what we're going to do it's going to be just we're going to offer more sizes more freestyle models and like and there's an opportunity, probably more opportunity for you to get a board you want to ride in GNU. We weren't talking pro models then, but it was just like I wanted something a little stiffer. Like libs were pretty torsionally stiff. And, you know, I rode a mini Jamie Lynn for a little while, but Jamie's a different shape, power level than I am. <laughs> so those boards, like now when I flex them, they definitely took me for a ride. But the GNUs, I mean, that was a really cool opportunity to get back and, and, uh, try to work with them on a board that worked for my foot size and my weight and my power level. Yeah, let's talk about that first uh, GNU Pro model. I think it's fascinating. Pete Sari gave me a note, and he said that um, she spent two, uh, two days drawing flowers with colored pencils and complaining <laughs> that her fingers hurt for the graphic or something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I think... I mean, that's, that's the thing. It wasn't like I, I came out to Seattle for a factory visit. It wasn't like I was coming out to design my pro model. It was just like, hey, we decided that we're going to put your graphic on a board and or, you know, we're going to let you decorate a board and it's going to just slide into the line. It was part of the Stupid Cap series. So they didn't put my name on that board, but they did give me the opportunity to like creatively direct what it would look like. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, had never done, I wasn't, a, I'm not an artist, right? But I <laughs> sat down with colored pencils and I drew what inspired me at the time. And it looks like a five-year-old did it. But, um, but yeah, they made it into a graphic and, and it ended up being the stupid cap 145. And um, fun fact, we're bringing that graphic back for 2024. Wow, the original. Yeah, That's original cool. art, changed the colors a little bit, but... I love art and graphics where it looks like a five-year-old drew yeah. it. Like, I think that like non-artists doing art is the best art dope. a lot of times. <laughs> um, but the next year when they, when they pulled that model out of the Stupid Cap series and, and called it the Barrett board, um, we found a real artist. Kelly Talbot did the flying pigs with the rainbows. Uh, 
I also heard that um, when they were doing their marketing for GNU, a lot of it was our kind of in quotations, our best writer is a girl. And it really pissed Dave Subnuski off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he got mad. I think he's still mad about that. Still mad. <laughs> All right. Let's get into a Volcom video about talking fit. How do you feel about that? You're going to talk some fit, bud? What does that mean? Uh, well, they're going to be talking fit. I just took a fit. Let's see what they say. Was it solid or liquid fit? Solid. <laughs> what up, bumhole? My name is Marcus Cleveland, and now we're talking fit. So this past year, I've been rocking the, the Nightbreaker jacket and the Chronicle pant in color blue. I mean, you can't really go wrong with color blue. The fit is super nice. The, the pant is kind of baggy, but it's not too baggy. Same with the jacket. The texture is super nice, uh, super thin, so it kind of feels like you're just wearing like a sweatpant or a, a hoodie, basically. So you feel like you're not really getting stuck in like movements and, and stuff, which is super nice. It also has like uh, the white stripes down the side of the jacket and the pant. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite outfits that Volcom has ever made. Fit is good and I'm hyped on it. All right, so 97, uh, you had some big contest years. And then uh, shortly after, it was 98 and you made the Olympic team. Right? Yeah. How was that experience? How did that come about? Yeah, that was, I was the last one to make the team. I had a really good year in 97. So going into 98 kind of felt like, oh, this is perfect timing. Like I've hit my stride. I could go to the Olympics. What a great opportunity. And, uh, and then kind of got overwhelmed by the whole, like the whole process, the Olympic qualifiers. Nobody had done it before in snowboarding. So there wasn't like a real outline of how it was going to go how the qualifiers, how the point system worked and like all of that and just showed up at events and tried to do my best and sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. But um, yeah, it ended up being like it came down to the last qualifier event and they could take either three men and four women or four men and three women in freestyle and both Bjorn and I were on the cut line there and I think they, you know, there was definitely like, they had rules about what they were, what the next thing to look at is once they had a tie and points. And, um, and I think because I had significant wins in 97, like they still felt like I had it in me and I could do it. And so I got the spot. Sorry, Bjorn. Um, and then I went to Nagano and <laughs> I see your sticker up there says keep Nagano stoned. Um, and I, I went there and, and like again, like wasn't prepared, you know. I think that now and and certainly I would advise anyone going to that stage to like really like dig do some work on like what you're getting into. It's not we had one year of the X Games prior to the Olympics and it wasn't the X Games. I thought, well, that's a televised event. I got this, like no pressure. I feel totally comfortable. But I got to the Olympics and definitely kind of crumbled on it was weird. It didn't feel like snowboarding, like the announcers, the TV crews, the the whole start setup, and like the the real seriousness of it all. Just I felt out of my element, and and I I crumbled. Like it was too serious. Mm, maybe too serious, but just like too foreign. Yeah. Not because it was in Japan, but yeah. just like the whole scene was foreign. It wasn't like the kind of snowboarding competitions that I did well at, where it was fun. Everybody was high fiving and. You know, the you get down and the announcers know your name and everybody's stoked. But it just felt a little, it was off and I just wasn't prepared. 
Yeah, I imagine like there wasn't Todd Richards at the bottom or something. <laughs> well, Todd Richards was there. He crumbled. Yeah. yeah. Todd, Todd, I talked to him yesterday. He said he, he basically blacked that time period out of his mind. Because <laughs> it was so weird for him, too? <laughs> I think he, he, yeah. I mean, he crumbled, too. Like, everybody he was, was arguably new. the favorite he was, going he was the into favorite, that yeah. event. Yeah. And also, the thing you got to realize, too, is that it was two-run format uh, combined. So, it's not like nowadays best run. So if you if you right. bobble on a run, you're done. You got to just do two consistent runs, and which is horrible for progression. I, think. I was actually yeah. talking at the bottom. You were talking about announcers. I was like, there wasn't a Todd Richards announcing oh, yeah. at the bottom. No. It was more like a news, maybe an Olympic announcer. Yeah, yeah. Bob so Costas down there. The yeah. last thing, and, and it is guy. kind of blacked out for me too, but. I do remember dropping in and hearing them say, Christy Barrett, dropping in to the United <laughs> oh, States of America. Christy sounds more like the name they're used to. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> they got my name wrong on national or uh, Yeah, I, did, I made TV. it this far. Get my name right. But so, oh, keep going. No, no, that's, I'd rather, Who are you I'd rather you change the subject. <laughs> oh, it was that bad. Well, ar- <laughs> around, around that time. So, Christy, around that time. Uh, Christy no, Barrett. Th- there was... That's when big sponsors started coming in. Is that when Nike came into the space? Well, yeah. Yep. Nike came in right before the Olympics. So obviously they thought I had a good shot. And it would have been a really cool fairy tale story to sign with Nike, go to the Olympics, win a medal, and like get launched into the stratosphere. But I didn't win a medal. And, you know, but the, luckily, like I signed with ACG and, and that, and I had been talking to them for a year. I had a sponsor that I really liked and didn't want to leave. And, and then they ended up folding. It was Montoya. Um, but it was awesome clothes, and I did that with Megan for a little while. But but the timing was right. They were approaching me, and I thought that, uh, you know, Nike, I grew up an athlete. Like, I have a respect for the brand, and, and I knew it was uncomfortable, or it was like, you know, they were entering a pretty exclusive scene in snowboarding, and so they weren't necessarily welcomed. But I saw the opportunity to contribute to how they did that and and how the product was designed and and how you know it was it was imaged in marketing and so yeah I was I jumped all over that and and signed with ACG and then you know I think I made up for not winning an Olympic gold but um that lasted you know it was it was cool while it lasted ACG ended up kind of folding and then I had the opportunity to go from the years as an ACG athlete into a Nike women's ambassador. So kind of kept it rolling for a while and then, you know, go into the later years with Nike. But um, yeah, the ACG was the first, my first step into Nike. The the one thing that sticks out during that time period, uh, you did a commercial where there's a guy and I don't think it's, you know, now, nowadays it maybe hasn't aged well, but the, the, it's basically an office, a guy working in an office building and he's like kind of getting ready to like jump off the edge. You can tell he's, we can put on the screen for people that are watching. And then, and then, uh, basically Barrett steps up and bomb drops off of the side of this building. (laughs) Looks pretty steep. And then just does like a melon poke off it and, uh, lands on an airbag. But yeah, how is, how is that experience, uh, doing a big time commercial with Nike? That seems special. Yeah, that was really cool. And actually I just dug that up the other day too. Glad you guys found that. It's not easy to find. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it's really hard to do a method or melon, even off of a concrete ledge, you know, on a, 30 story building in LA. It was, you know, it, it took a few tries really. 
next try i got you right here you're like 10 tries in they're like oh i just can't get my hands <laughs> yeah. around um but uh yeah that was that was definitely cool that that year that series of commercials they had gabby reese in one and that was like another funny scenario i think she was spiking in a restaurant or something and peekaboo did one too and just i was in really good company like those girls were were just amazing athletes and so just to be plugged into that stuff was a cool experience what were you bomb dropping into for a landing there off that building? <laughs> they actually rose, the, like on scaffolding, they rose an airbag up. So oh, it was sick. only like 10 feet below me. And then there was like, the, there was a stunt double. So for the actually walking out to the ledge part, there was a stunt double doing that. And then once I was there and I put the board down and strapped in, I was fully buckled to the wall. You know, like everything was safe, but I... Definitely had to sign my life away if I, I fell bet. off the building. <laughs> I think I would have been screwed. That sounds like a really cool experience. But it was a cool experience, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and I was just doing like this. I was just in Aspen to talk at the meeting. And uh, the woman uh, that I got to talk with was Melanie Strong. She started in Nike when I was with, yeah. You were in Air Definitely. Um, when I was at ACG and... She told me, and I didn't even realize this, but ACG gave me a shoe. So I had a pro model shoe for two years, which was really cool. Good luck finding those. You didn't know it at the time, though? (laughs) No, well, no, I knew that. But she told me that that was only the second time Nike ever did a female signature shoe. It's a big deal. First time was Cheryl Swoops, and then... I'm not sure. Beyond that, I think... You're in good company. Yeah. 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 That's wild. Yeah, I wish it lasted longer. But uh, ACG is pretty cool. Mike Michael Chuck was on the team. Oh, I remember right. I had a Mike Michael Chuck poster, him doing a big method. Yeah. He came in hot for a minute and then kind of faded oh, out. He quick. was so good. Mm-hmm. He's still, I'm sure he's still great. He's got the Michael Chuck named after him. That's always mm-hmm. good. All right. Let's get into a Patreon question. And uh, first of all, thank you, all the Patreon members. You guys really keep the lights on and stoked to uh, have you as part of our family. This is a question from Wyndham Miller. I'd like to ask Barrett. How she came up with the Barrett role and how the guys took to that trick. Were they stoked? Were they doing it? Or did they write it off? <laughs> Thanks, Wyndham. Um, that trick came about, so I remember the summer 99, I did a winter or a summer X Games. So they built a scaffolding jump in San Francisco. And, and I, I hadn't done anything like that before, but was gearing up. I don't even know if that was in June or July, whenever Summer X Games was then, but I went to Hood ahead of that, and I was like, I gotta learn a new trick, and I can't even tell you how many big air comps I won or placed with a backside 360, and so that, I like, I knew, I knew I needed to come up with some new tricks, (laughs) but, uh, but I was like, okay, rodeo, like, I, I know Tara was doing backflips, and I was like, I like the side, I just feel more balanced if I can look over my shoulder, and um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to get a rodeo. And then I maybe, I don't know what I was doing, but I couldn't throw over my back shoulder. So, and I also knew coming down to, uh, the scaffolding landings were so sketch and carpet and just a bunch of ice chips on them. So I wanted to land forward. I wasn't sure I could take off backwards. My switch skills never were that great, but coming down that those runways were pretty sketchy too. So like okay I'm gonna take off switch I'm gonna land forward as long as I land I'm good and 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 I just was trying to get the rodeo but I couldn't throw over so I started throwing under my shoulder and ended up rolling off my toes throwing under my shoulder and I really thought I was doing a rodeo and I 
kind of like brought it around a few times at Hood, and I was like, okay, well, this is cool. It's, it's new and different, but I, and that was on like a 15 foot jump, you know, and then went down to that Summer X Games and tried it and um, brought it around and a little in the backseat. Maybe wasn't looking ahead at the landing enough, but <laughs> <laughs> was definitely more sketched on the run in than the landing. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I brought it around and definitely did more of them and got it better eventually. But that was, you know, I, I didn't realize it was kind of different and thought I was just doing a rodeo. So I kind of felt like a little bit of a failure that I didn't get what I was trying to do, but I'm glad it stuck. Yeah, that was definitely special times uh, way ahead of the curve on all that stuff. And it was weird because in my head, I was like, oh, it's like a, just a barrel roll. Like I, that's what I remembered as a kid watching you do X Games and stuff. But it's like it's more of a switch kind of front flip 180 barrel roll kind of thing. And yeah, I mean. To- yeah, I don't know, Todio or I don't know what you'd call it, but it's, uh, yeah, re- really special. And then you really figured it out because I found a clip of you doing one on one of those giant Breck Park shoots on like – a massive jump and I was looking back at all this footage and these scaffolding jumps and these old X Games big airs and the jumps are so shitty. That's the other thing you have to put into perspective for riders mm-hmm. now. You watch, you know, Jamie do a, you know, a double cork on something. It's like, it's like perfectly built where if you, you know, not to discredit what she's doing, but the tricks you're doing also match the, like what you can do on those dog shit jumps. Yeah, I mean, definitely don't discredit what they're doing now. The jumps are so big and the consequences are so high. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, we did have, we didn't know any better, you know? Like, we didn't have Gunny out there designing the jumps until X Games 2001, 2002, I think. I don't know, my timeline might be off. But I remember when he, he started bringing, like, Peter and I went out to X Games to kind of like over the summer to the to the course where they were building in Mount Snow and and got to like do a walk of the land and look at the the course design and like figure out like they were just starting to put together that like if you had your takeoff at this angle your landing needs to be at this angle and this long and and so when that started happening then progression happened a lot faster the scaffolding jumps were crazy those were like I don't think they've gotten much better yeah. either. They're still gnarly. Like, you still have the snow carpet and then the ice chips or some kind of snow. Yeah, it's not even, like, real snow. No, you can't dig your edge in. No, scary, scary stuff. And then back then they also had, like, you had U.S. Open, X Games. There was Gravity Games, Summer X Games. Like, if you were doing well at X Games in that time, you were you were larger than life. That's something that's, like, hard to put into perspective now is that, you know, I think that pros weren't as accessible. You didn't see what they're eating for breakfast on Instagram. They're, you know, you guys at the time were were gods, you know, amongst mere mortals, it felt like. And, <laughs> and uh, how was that experience for you kind of being in that spotlight and, and winning all those contests? I don't, I never felt like a god among mortals. <laughs> <laughs> um, Not even for a second, huh? No, I don't think so. Um, but I mean, there was, I, I definitely looked up to the people I was riding with, like to get to, to do those events and to, you know, Kevin Jones and Peter line and those guys were killing it. And I love to be a part of that. And there was a point, you know, like when I first started competing, Jana Mayan was still competing and, and she was, and still is a hero and, and Tina Bassett, Shannon Dunn. So like, I was just stoked to be part of the crew. Um, you said you won tons of contests with a backside three. <laughs> How much money do you think you won off a of backside three over the years? 
I don't know. I mean, I've probably won probably into the six figures on really? the side three. Come, that's mad yeah. props. But, then, but like you said, there were so many events. Yeah. I mean, the prize money wasn't, I wasn't winning 40 grand. Yeah, that's the thing. The women's wasn't probably 10 as grand, big as the guys. Eight to 10 grand. And then some, I mean, if you count some incentives on top of that. Yeah, ACG or. But the, yeah, Gravity Games, Vans, Triple Crowns, X Games, US Opens. I mean. Just stack up. Yeah, most mostly it was the backside three. That's awesome. Every once in a while, a five would slide around, and I might get credit for it, but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't that good. I and heard then, they used to say "grab tail checks in the mail." Apparently, it was huh? <laughs> <laughs> in the early days. They just don't have but the same it, amount of contests it, now, huh? No, they don't have the same amount of contests, and and also that that's the thing we just breezed over. But the prize money uh, was not equal, and I think yeah, let's dive into the kind of push for equality with men and women snowboarding, what that looked like then versus now. And Yeah. I mean, I don't ever recall doing an event where, well, no, that's not true. Maybe there was a few in the beginning where there was like a small side and a bigger side, but truthfully, like some of the guys hit the small side because like all the reasons we talked about, the jumps weren't all that proportional and maybe the landing was flat for how high the kick was on the big side. But um, for the most part, like the girls were always hitting the same jumps and, and yeah, not everybody offered equal prize money. I do recall X games from out the gate did have equal prize money. It wasn't what it is now, but it was equal. And, um, at least for the top three, I don't know beyond that. I'm sure it dropped off, but, but yeah, I mean, there's no reason why. And, and I guess, at that time, there was fewer of us that were willing to do the events or not willing but capable of doing those events because there weren't parks in every resort. And people, I remember going to the X Games in 97 to the Big Air Comp, and I had never seen a big jump like that, not one constructed just for air. Like, it, it, it was ridiculous, and it wasn't a good jump. It was like a single runway up to a little mound, and then it was all about the airtime and the camera angle, but... Um, I, I think they invited like 10 of us or 15 of us and only three or four of us wanted to do it. Tina was one of them. I know she talked about that on the show. Um, but you know, we still had, that was, that was like just at the beginning, you have to see more people doing it in order to think it's possible. And to, to, you know, next time around there was like 15, 20 girls that wanted to do it. And then, you know, you started having more areas to practice and, and uh, progress. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting concept that like needs to get hammered down too. Is like there is no Zoe or Jamie Anderson without you and Tina and Tara, like you know, laying down the foundation of of like they they got to watch you guys, and then it's cool how it's just snowballed and, and been great for women snowboarding. Yeah, I I know that I like I was talking about this the. Memory came back because I was in Aspen, but I remember the first big air contest I tried to do. It's probably '96, and uh, and they did not allow women, but they were also didn't even allow snowboarders on the hill. Then it was like at the bottom of the hill, and it was all roped off, and you had to hike up. And um, but I remember just wanting to hit it, so I got to hit it a few times. But there was no women's category then. And then you know Nike was a sponsor of that big air and I think that that's where that relationship started because I did kind of hound them after the fact about like hey I hit the jump I think I got a a gift certificate for some shoes and like (laughs) but I did make that connection and started to build that relationship with some people there 
Um, but yeah, there was, there, you know, over time, and it didn't take long, really, in retrospect, a few years, and then all of a sudden there were jumps at all the events, and then there was a lot of girls that were totally capable. You just had to see people doing it in order to feel that it was possible. Now, I want to I want to pick your brain on something. We had Megan Pischke on the show. Give her air horn. Yeah, man. Uh, she's awesome, and she was talking about you know back in that time because it, it seems very divided now with like men and women, and it, it's like it's uh, and she kind of painted this picture where it's like we all just kind of rode together. Like she was just like just in the mix, and um, and and I don't know. Uh, do you, do you have anything to add to that, or does that make sense to you? That's kind of a vague, shitty question, but <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. I mean, that's why it was weird to go to a competition where the girls weren't allowed because for those of us that were snowboarding, we were all part of the same crew, and I I do feel like like everybody was supportive. Whether I was in Crested Butte, my friends at Colorado Border were like my biggest supporters, and they were actually probably my first sponsor before I actually had a snowboard to ride. But um, but like I mean, they were all guys, and 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 it wasn't just you know being like the token girl. It was just like we were just snowboarders, so everybody was pretty supportive, and I always felt like going from there to Summit County, and then meeting Megan, and meeting Morgan Lafont, and meeting these women that were just so powerful and so good and and had so much fun like the whole scene and meeting Ethan at that time too like that that scene in Summit and Vale at that time was just like it felt like the sport was exploding and we were all in it together male or female and so I don't think I I know that that was a question I'd get from media at the time like when I had the opportunity to get interviewed for you know going to the Olympics or I just won an X Games medal so what's it like being a girl in a male-dominated sport, like, everybody wanted to pull that story out, like, oh, you're a girl, like, how'd you have to fight and claw your way to get to be a part of the scene or part of the crew, and it just never felt like that, because we were all in it, just, you know, we were kind of minorities, just being snowboarders, and uh, everybody was in it for the same reasons at, at the time. I could see where the question came from, though, because those people worked for media publications or they worked for corporations or they worked for companies where you definitely had to claw and probably often still do have to claw your way to the top to get recognized as a female. That's so true. And on the, what they didn't realize is that when you weren't at the contest, you were just shredding with everybody. Yeah. Like one, one crew, like you're saying. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Just all riding together. Well, we happen to have a guest question from none other than Megan. Here we go. Hi, Barrett. It's Megs. I have a two-part question for you today. First question is, have you ever done a standing backflip on a dance floor? And the second question is, is there a moment in time or an era or even a move that you feel has been pivotal in women's snowboarding? Have fun today. Oh, thank you, Megan. Um, <laughs> I think she was there. I've done some moves on the dance floor before. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure she was kind of thinking about a particular move at a particular dance floor in Breckenridge. I My first major injury really was on a dance floor in Breckenridge. <laughs> <laughs> And it was snowboard related because I was hanging out with a bunch of snowboarders. Were you there? 
Uh, I don't know if I don't think I was there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember Adam was there and and Ninja probably and yeah and Megan and Morgan probably, but I think she got it wrong. I wasn't doing a backflip. I was doing an aerial and I blew out my knee. Oh, I hyperextended wh- my knee. What exactly is an aerial? Yeah, what is an aerial? It's like a no-handed cartwheel. Okay. Gymnastic move. Okay, yeah. yeah. Kind of my go-to. Um, and you blew out your knee. Yeah, because when you <laughs> when you're doing that, you have to like Twist. launch off of one leg, uh, and and I would show you, but you know I'm all mic'd up, so. Oh, you can st- <laughs> you still got it. Because we we can go out back. Yeah, we can we can cue up a clip real quick, and we can go get one. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, but yeah, it was like you have to launch off of one leg, and I think I did that, and my knee just hyperextended, and you know I kind of just kept dancing and think i mean it was it was fun and 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 i didn't think i hurt myself at the time but i did did some like damage full-on knee surgery or well uh, funny enough i was a snowboarder making a little bit of money but did not prioritize health insurance so oh. i did not uh i didn't have insurance and uh i remember going back to Vail the next day and going to get it drained because it was so swollen and, and I had to go to somebody. So I went to someone that kind of drained it. It was like, you should come back in a week. Like, let's let the swelling go down and we'll see what's up. And, and he, he at first like felt it and he's like, yeah, I think you've torn your ACL. You're probably going to have to look at surgery. And I was like, Oh gosh. And, and then I, I think I waited a while. I may have had it drained a couple of times, but did get insurance didn't get surgery, but I did have a doctor, one other doctor, tell me that, oh, it feels like you have some resistance in there. I don't think it's blown. I think I think this this can heal. The only way we can tell is with a MRI, and I never got that. But um, but I, you know, it was like hearing that one doctor, like you had two doctors, one saying like you're totally blown, you're gonna need surgery, and the next one said, no, I think there's some, I can still feel some resistance. I think you're okay. You're gonna have to train and get back. And after that, I was like. That's all I needed. To yeah, like, you went with that guy. Yeah, I went with that guy. <laughs> I was like, okay, B. I got this. And then I did get in health insurance after that and, and was prepared. And thankfully, I haven't had knee surgery. So I may not have an ACL. I don't know. But I, it was, it definitely was uh, swollen. The power and of then, that guy's word, though, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And part two of Meg's question was a uh, pivotal moment in history of women's snowboarding I think yeah I mean all that that's subjective right but I mean for me just watching um going from like obviously there was the competition scene but then like watching what Victoria did and and before her Morgan to be honest like high speed power freestyle in uh the bigger mountains was like it was pivotal to me because that truly was kind of like unexplored territory for snowboarders in general at that time. I mean, there were guys out there doing it and you had, you know, pretty colorful characters that were sort of holding down that part of snowboarding. But then you see like graceful female fluid Victoria do it and, and with power and grace. And that was pretty pivotal, at least for me, just to see that that was possible because, um, because that opens up a whole new horizon for like, where snowboarding can go beyond the parks. Style and grace describing Victoria's turns is like some of the best adjectives yes. I've ever heard. It's really good. Yeah. I mean, I felt that way watching Tina too go from competitive snowboarding to when she started filming and, 
riding in the backcountry, and I had the pleasure of riding with Tina a lot more than Victoria, but but like that was just, I mean, she's super graceful too, and and obviously Megan. I mean, Megan and I rode a lot together, and and uh, I don't know if you saw the picture she posted today, but I didn't that cliff drop in Chile, and but yeah, I mean, she was that kind of rider too. I know we both definitely learned and uh got a lot of experience from Morgan and Morgan was a little intense she was, she, she was crazy she's scary I was a little scared of, of Morgan <laughs> <laughs> she was kind of like a fireball Chris just a wild chick that kind of pushed everybody I guess I don't know yeah but she was kind of in a supportive, in a supportive way. way she'd yeah. take care of you well it's pretty wild when you look at the the slew of awards that you had you know from Shlew. From U.S. Open in 97, first half by Big Air, 97 uh, U.S. Open. And then you have uh, 97 X Games, first place, Big Air and Slope. 98, you went to the Olympics. 98 X Games, second Big Air, second Slope. 99 Gravity Games, third Big Air. 99 Winter X Games, first half pipe, second Slope. 99 Summer X Games, first Big Air. You know, 99 Trans World Riders, Award, uh, best overall female snowboarder, two thousand riders award, best fem- best overall snowboarder. I guess they called it. Like I'd call that rider of the year. So yeah, rider of the year. You know, um, it's like you were you were on a freaking good one. I'd for say this a is long highly time. decorated. Yeah. Is what we call this. Did right you here. <laughs> did you find my sponsor me resume? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is your current one. Your current You're, sponsor me. Um. You yeah, well, I told you, it's, it was only 10 years, though, you know? Yeah, like, it was kind of It kind of, of cuts run. off right there at well, 2003. Yeah, we still got a yeah. few more, but yeah. Yeah. And then you were on, I one thing, you were on Apple Jacks. You were in the freaking, you know what I realized with the Apple Jacks? Here's the deal with the Apple Jacks. It's like, people get Wheaties boxes. Like, okay. True. That's okay. I never I never ate Wheaties. Yeah. I'll tell you, when True. I was a kid, I hammered Apple Jacks, though. That's a, that's a coveted box. Yeah, that was pretty cool. They don't but, give I mean, those out to a lot of people, mm-hmm. basically. No. They, they gave it to me uh, leading up to the 2002 Olympics, and I think the box came out before the Olympics, so obviously they had to sync up who they thought was going to be yeah. an Olympic showcase athlete, and I was coming back from... You know, okay, I blew in 98 at the Olympics, but I still had a good run, 99, 2000, and uh, had a good agent and all the, and had good sponsors and all the stars were aligning. And I got this Kellogg's deal and I got on the Apple Jacks box and the Pop-Tarts box. Wow. Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts. <laughs> yeah. Damn, some, I probably hammered some of those around that time. And then the Olympic qualifiers came and I didn't make the cut. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 I was like representative of the 2002 Olympic teams on those boxes. But I mean, I'd come back from, I'm going to throw out my excuses here, but I had a foot injury in 2000, I think 2001 or maybe nine. I don't know. Blurry again. Is this but, snowboarding or the um, dance floor? No, this was snowboarding. snowboarding okay. And uh, I tore my Liz Frank ligament, which is on like the top of your foot. It's, it, I think the doctors had said they most often see it when people punch their foot through the floorboards in a car accident. Oh, wow. Like just a hyperflexion. And it was, I'm going to blame airwalk boots. I'm going to blame the <laughs> shitty jumps and the bad landings. But like I just landed off and I, I tore that ligament and broke a bone in my foot and had a pretty long recovery. That one took a while, like non-weight bearing for three months and then, you know, light weight bearing after that. It took a while. And so I came back and I was ready to compete for the qualifiers, but I just couldn't get back up to that level. And so I didn't make that 
Olympic cup, but uh, you know, do you still have the uh, I'm, Apple I'm wondering Jacks the same box? Thing. You still, you, I still have the Apple Jacks in the Apple Jacks. You know box. what? There's wow. there's so much preservatives in there. They're yeah. they're probably still good. I bet they're I just as good, right? Yeah, now I, fresh still. Now that you're now that your mom with Canon, do you ever just break those things out if yeah, he's giving you a hard time up. and just be like, hey, look, I'm your mom. You're gonna eat some of these. Oh my gosh! Twenty year old Apple Jacks. Those kids eat Apple Jacks. <laughs> no, I mean they could. I think our kids have grown up eating pretty healthy. But I guess if, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Cannon was on the box of Apple Jacks, I'd let him eat it. Mm. You know, I think it might be like a wine a wine scenario. Like, it almost gets better with time yeah, with the amount of preserves. Like one, oh, one day see, that's what I should be on the cover of next. Yeah, like, wine. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But you could break <laughs> out that Apple Jacks, like, to celebrate, you know, like, a, at an anniversary and just chow down on that and see how it is. And the Pop-Tarts, too. That's yeah. Yeah, bring incredible. them by. We'll eat them. We'll eat them over here if we still got them. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Union Bindings. Today, we're going to be talking about their splitboard bindings. I rock the Explorer splitboard bindings. New to the uh, the old splitboard scene, but it is a good time. Uh, the thing that's good about the uh, splitboard bindings that Union makes is they're built for snowboarders, and they're built for the snowboard part of splitboarding. So they're kind of the best bindings for the descent. You know, Travis Rice rocks these things. If you want to launch a little front three off of a cliff on your way down, uh, the unions, I think, are the best for kind of freestyling on your way down on the split board. Um, so if you're interested in checking out some union split board bindings, again, I rock the Explorer. Their new website is live with all their new products, unionbindingcompany.com. Hey, buds, did you know Capita owns their own factory with their own damn ski slope right in the heart of the Austrian Alps and builds all their own boards with self-generated clean energy? I've heard that. They pull hydropower from a river on site, and they have a snowboard slope right there on site. Capita has built the most environmentally responsible snowboard production facility in the world. It's called the Capita Mothership, and they make some damn fine snowboards, buds. Yeah, the best boards, some would say. I've been riding for 20-plus years, and I've ridden a lot of different boards. Buds, you've been riding since uh, 1408, I believe, so you've probably seen a bunch of different snowboard tech come along the way. What do you think the first time you stepped on one of the Capita boards, buds? The first time I stepped on a Capita board? Yeah, what'd you think? So good, my dog. The new Capita website is live. If you're thinking about picking up a new Capita, uh, head on over to CapitaSnowboards.com for the 22-23 line. So, uh, Barrett, I was talking to you yesterday, and you mentioned that you were doing an athlete mentality in business, kind of like keynote speaker deal. And I thought it was really fascinating. And as we were talking, you kind of mentioned... Um, we think we're just shredding, but we're building skills for life in business as well. Uh, I want to kind of know what you were talking about as you were speaking at this thing, what it was all about, and if you want to elaborate on what I just said. Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't a keynote. It was just uh, for the meeting up in Aspen. And uh, and it was, you know, I've kind of over the last few years taken the habit of not saying no to opportunities. And I want to continue to grow and I want to continue to challenge myself and, and I'm not going to challenge myself on the snow that much anymore, any more than it already is. But, you know, like <laughs> I want to challenge myself in business or at least in professional landscape. Um, and so uh, my friend Mel asked me to come speak with her and she has been a vice president of marketing. She's been one of the top female executives at Nike and you know, I know quite a few badass women like that. And so any opportunity to talk with them and to, to learn from them, like, of course, I'm going to say yes. So 
we did talk, um, and they had panel discussions from a bunch of different people, but we talked about, in particular, the athlete mentality and how that makes you, uh, how that prepares you for success in business and beyond. And so, I mean, that kind of is something I've run across in the past, but like, obviously it's true. If you're going to be a good athlete, you're going to have perseverance, you're going to be competitive enough that you're going to want to do whatever it takes to succeed. And you're going to have, you know, be able to pick up when you fall and, and keep going. And, and I guess this, all those qualities kind of resonate with me and I'm like, okay, I mean, like most of us, like you go from snowboarding and like, what's next? I mean, if you, if you are lucky enough to become a professional snowboarder, like that doesn't necessarily prepare you for what do you do next. It's kind of like all downhill from there. That is the best job in the industry, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, how do you take those skills? But it also makes you extremely, like, gives you an extremely unique perspective for any brand, um, like to come from that world, to have that kind of nuanced understanding of the industry and that niche and and uh, and so, like, how does that play into business outside of sports, too? Like, if, if you – something like 90% of top Fortune 500 CEOs were college athletes because, I mean, obviously, like, you're competitive. It takes that level of competition and that confidence in yourself to, like, keep going until you get to that top level. And then even more so for females. Like, most of the women that have reached the C-suite – level in business are former athletes so so many good takeaways from that i think about that a lot and and with snowboarding the translate to life that i think the translation to life that i think sticks out a lot too and what you're talking about is uh stepping outside your comfort zone right so like you know making a habit of showing up to a big jump like a lot of times like you don't want to try the barrett roll like on uh on a giant crappily built jump like that's not something where you're like "Ooh, i'm excited to do this like you're probably scared and you're probably uncomfortable but you force yourself to do that and it's funny like i think about what the you know for me like on a street trip like you know forcing yourself to show up to a rail where there's minimal snow it's cold as hell and you want to front board some you know triple kink or something you don't want to do that it's not like fun but you you force yourself to do it and you you love the the clip after and it, all those things but you can translate that same thing to to business now like the the front boarding the triple kink might be running a business you know like that's yeah. the front board or that's the barrett roll it's it translates exactly yeah in that same way i mean you got to take it step by step and i think that's how i always approach snowboarding too like you got to start small or start with one rotation before you add another. But I think it's the same thing with business and just like knowing, like just starting to look like what we talked about before, look ahead, like go look at the end goal or not even the end goal, but look three steps ahead and know that like, okay, if you do this and you might fail at it, but whatever, like you're getting that experience and you're, you're only going to build on that and, and have conf more confidence the next time you go at it. Cause at least you'll have learned from your mistakes and, so I'm, I'm like, I think pre-COVID pretty much, I like started just thinking like, oh, maybe I should go back to school. Like, I just want to expand my knowledge to take, you know, what I do now and get, be better at it, but also like open up possibilities, whether it's be for myself or, or for my kids or for team riders that I work with, like really want to understand more. I want to keep learning. And so started just kind of doing 
couple courses here and there and just kind of reaching out to mentors because like, I mean, what better way to get inspired than reach out? If you have the opportunity, like, I think when I was younger, there's no way I would have reached out to like Tina or Shannon and said like, hey, I'm Barrett from Pennsylvania. Like, can I, can I ask you what it takes to be, you, you know, professional? Like, I just wouldn't have done that. But, but now like, you realize like once I did reach like compete with them and got to connect with them and realize how willing they were to share knowledge like of course I'd do the same thing and I continue to do that but I also realized there's no harm in asking when I want to reach out to a Mel or a you know any top level executive that I feel like I have a connection with like or even if I don't like why not re- reach out and ask if there's a particular question or I mean, now we have so many ways to do so. You don't have to just call them up on their personal line. You can hit them on LinkedIn or DM them or whatever, but it doesn't hurt to try and to ask. So, And a lot of people love to talk, too, about it, something they've learned and mm-hmm. passed the knowledge because you know, they feel like a badass because they figured it out. Yeah. And you're well, interested in hearing what they have to say, so they'd love to give it back to you. And I was surprising to find that so many women in business are that way, but also... Not surprising coming from snowboarding, but like, yeah, I mean, we've started to see that more at events and put together some some sessions around its tits event where like, I mean, the opportunity, I like that stemmed from just being at these events and seeing how the young girls were like taking every opportunity to ask like Desiree, like ask her about her outerwear kit or ask Jess Kimura, like how she's doing that trick. And like, you see the work in progress, you see how the steps it takes to get the clip and to get what, you know, to achieve whatever those girls are doing. And so like the conversation was flowing freely. And, and I mean, I hope anyone that is snowboarding, like an aspiring girl coming up would feel free to ask anyone that they see that they look up to because yeah, more often than not, they want to share and they're, they're happy to share knowledge. Well, well, I'd like to ask for maybe that aspiring. I have a couple questions, but first one for the aspiring um, snowboarder coming up, maybe male or female, or you could lean into female, however you want to do this. But like, what are the, the key ingredients to a successful snowboard career? That's a trick question. <laughs> That's what we call a hard-hitting question. Um, so the key ingredients, I think, end up being like how, I mean, all those qualities of an athlete that we talked about, like how, you know, you, you got to have some competition, whether it be with yourself or your peers to like be better, to continue to improve yourself. And uh, and are you uh, are you resilient? Can you handle Can you handle falling down or can you handle criticism and are you uh are you observant enough are you smart enough to see what's going on around you and be culturally uh aware you know you don't have I mean culturally tapped in could be anyone like but are you aware of what's going on you might not have to be the it kid but but if you have a solid understanding of that scene and like if you're trying to get into like street riding then like know the culture, know the scene and know the, the players and know the, the brands that are, that are there, the co- brands that are competing against your sponsor or that are, you know, playing in the same field. And it's just like, you got to keep educating yourself and it's fun. Like it's not, you don't have to sit in a classroom and study, but like just be a student of the game and student of the culture. So I think the, the smart kids, like the, I want to say kids, but doesn't have to be a contest result it doesn't even have to be an ender part like if you are connecting to the community and you are sharing a message that is relevant and authentic then like 
you, it might just be your own story that you're sharing, but if you're making that connection through relationships or through accomplishments or whatever, like there's something there, like you can hit that magic spot without being like a, you know, the best rider at the hill because just being skilled on the snow doesn't mean, doesn't make you a perfect ambassador. Yeah, that person that's the best rider may not be the funnest rider to watch at the hill. Or yeah. hang out with after. Or hang out with after, exactly. <laughs> that best rider is always going to be sick to watch, but there's that other person that's like, yeah, I want to hang with that dude. Lucas yeah. Magoons of the world. and Stony Buds. Stony Buds. <laughs> exactly. You guys have that magic formula now. And it's always we, changing too, right? It's like a different, it's like a moving target what that formula might be. Oh, yeah. It's changed like night and day from when I was doing it. Like, I mean, you do have to understand social media and that landscape and you just have to understand wherever it is that uh, your partners are playing and, and be, you know, stand out in that environment. doesn't mean you have to be doing the sickest trick. But and it's funny, though, it doesn't even have to be snowboarding. It's really anything. Yeah. You got to know the people. and You guys are influencers. <laughs> we are. Yeah, we're influencers. <laughs> we... That's our cat. That's our Instagram uh, title. Influencer. <laughs> Influencer. <laughs> no, but it's like, it's such a funny thing is if, the, if you think you got it figured out, then, then you, you don't. You fucking don't. Yeah, Nobody has it no. figured it out. Nobody on, has yeah. it figured out. And the thing that's hard too is like, it's like people are just interested in their, who they're interested in, you know? And mm-hmm. if you're one of those people that, that the, the snowboard community is interested in for whatever reason, you're going to you, get there. You're going to have uh, a little bit more influence. You could say, yeah, because you <laughs> could really show up on word, paper but... to a sponsor and have yeah. all these accolades, but if you don't have that interesting thing, right, you might not get the sponsor. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's as much hero worship. Like, I don't think hero worship translates to buying uh, product, product no. anymore. Yeah. You know, I've never sense. heard that description. That's such a great word. Yeah, hero worship. Like, like the the forum eight was like hero right. worship, right? Totally, yeah. and yeah. and like kids would go out and buy everything head to toe look like those guys but i don't know i mean i don't see that as much yeah it's a little you ever go to japan though the culture there they are they are like big on like they put uh a lot of american pros still on a pedestal it seems like yeah but those japanese kids are so good yeah they've got i wonder if that's going yeah 100 percent. yeah that culture is awesome um all right, I got another hard hitting one coming at you. Here we go. Saddle up. No, so for for the uh, for the person because there's a lot of we get messages from people that they they're snowboarders. They love it. They want to get in the industry. They want to get a job in the industry. Um, they want to be a part of the industry. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I guess that is something that I've spent some time talking to people about lately because. It does seem like there's there's so many people that are that are good snowboarders, enthusiastic snowboarders. Like they're they're so fired up on it, but they're probably never going to get to the point where they're making a living be, as sponsored riders. But but like the industry needs their passion. They really need to stay involved, and I want to create every pathway I can to keep those people involved because that's like that's how it's going to stay true to the sport. Um, I guess, you know, there's a bunch of things you can do. Like, I think just being, it it goes back to the same thing that I was told. Like, just go to local, like, kickers or go to local events and just be there. You know, just meet people. And and I still think that's true. Like, if now that we're back to in-person, if there's a local event or there's something going on, just go talk to people. 
I think somebody had given me this advice like a long time ago, like, and this was before cell phones, but like the your address book is your like that's what you're collecting now, and that's what's going to take you through on like set you high above everybody else when you're done with this because you have these connections and you have these. And this was like some finance dude from New York told me this, and I was like, okay, well, it didn't really resonate with me, but now it really does because like it's those personal connections, it's those relationships, and and if you you know you might need to be in the right place at the right time, or you might just need to like to recognize like to know who does what and to I'm not saying go kiss people's ass but like that's a part of it like just go and talk to people and understand who does what because the more you understand about the personalities running the show and the the brands involved and the culture then the more relevant you're going to be getting into a job in the industry and also like go offer your services you know just to don't be afraid to just offer what you have you know, what your services are because you might find a paid position, you might find an internship or something to get your foot in the door. What do you think about the the fact that also, like, I, I mean, personally, I think it's a great, like, working an industry job, working to ride where you actually are able to, to sustain yourself. I see a lot of aspiring pros that are, they're right on the cusp. They're like, they're, they're, you know, they're not quite there yet and they could be there, but they're kind of on that bubble, right, where they're, they're getting free product maybe, or they're just getting their foot in the door. They just got a pro form or whatever it is. Right. And then, and the, you know, they might potentially only make, you know, 200 bucks a month or never even see a paycheck, but they dedicate their life to it where I have a lot of friends that work for brands and they're like split boarding before work, you know, and do working for an industry. It's almost like sometimes the, the people that set themselves up to work, so they can have the freedom to ride. It's almost a better lane to go than, than pursuing a professional career. If you don't quite have it, I don't know if that's harsh to say, but no, I think that's true. Like there's no better education than just doing it. But also like if you're going to be a pro rider, just come in or you're going to be aspiring pro and you're just going to start getting sponsors. Like you think you're going to make 30, 40 grand a year? Probably not as a sponsored, like, you know, entry level sponsored rider i don't know actually what people make that's like a pro no that's like a marquee pro a lot of <laughs> right. a lot of salaries yeah, right? entry yeah. entry levels barely right but they're like working you all could, summer you at a could different go job. get an entry level job at one of the companies and probably make a lot more than that and and start to build your career and, and then ultimately like like these days with work from home opportunities at different brands like you can like still prioritize fun and and when you'll schedule. end up being that snowboarder for life and right. being in a position to snowboard forever and have all the equipment you want. And That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I got a Patreon <laughs> question. Yeah, fire we, up. This question is from Morrison. As a pioneer in snowboarding and now an industry leader who fosters inclusion and growth of female participation in snowboarding, who has inspired you to smash through barriers for so many years? Thank you, Morrison. Morrison from Woodward, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. let's give him a yeah. Yeah, I think um, there. I mean, there's always been women that I looked up to that, in my mind, were maybe smashing barriers or just doing cool things that I looked up to. Uh, I think you know, Cersei's one that comes to mind. Cersei Wallace. She's just forged ahead without like taking anybody's shit and without like caring what people think about her. But she's done things, um, you know, 
a lot of great things for a lot of other people in the sport because she's so passionate. And I, and I think that that's what inspires me is just staying, keeping that passion. And it's, sometimes it's hard. Like when you're, when I, I'm a mom, I have two kids and and I'm working quite a bit and I may not be always the most efficient with my time management. I still like to surf and I like to snowboard. And, and so sometimes it feels really overwhelming, but like to just maintain the passion and to keep, you know, remembering why I'm here and why I'm, you know, working in snowboarding still. And like, obviously because I love it and I still want to be a part of that. And I still think that that's a really, um, exciting industry to be in. Um, besides Cersei, I'd say like, there's a ton of snowboarders that inspired me. And then now these days I'm looking to women, you know, and Cersei's done this too in business, but I'm looking to women like Colleen Quigley and, and, you know, uh, um, it's hard. Like, it's actually really hard to think of a long list of women who are smashing barriers in the industry, like, you know, as more senior managers or in leadership. There's not a long list, but um, anyone that is doing it and maintaining the love for the industry and the passion that it takes to, to make a change and to, to push forward and create more opportunity for others to be involved, because... Just like snowboarding, when you see more girls hitting big air jumps, like suddenly the next year there's 30, 40, 50 girls that are totally capable and are going to kick your ass in those contests. Like it's the same with business. You kind of need to see more women up ahead, like forging ahead and like leading teams and leading programs and building businesses in order to see, like in order to feel like that there's momentum heading in that direction. And so like I'm definitely focused on like where those women are going at, you know, middle age and beyond and and there's a smaller list for sure um but i think that's the point is like you just want to create more opportunity for more people to to get involved and to come up behind you no matter what level you're at that's just i never even thought about that how few that list is small yeah that's crazy you know i just kind of drew a blank trying yeah. to think of more names <laughs> there are more there but. are more yeah <laughs> it seems like we're we're Definitely heading in a better direction. Yes. If you look back at X Games five, one contest you're referencing where there's only three women hit the jump, right? And and it just keeps going further and further in that direction. Still, we got a long way to go. But I know you've been a big advocate, um, you know, for women's equal pay. Or I'm assuming this. I think I've heard this somewhere that you kind of been one of the you know, talking about smashing through barriers, putting the, I picture somebody putting on like a bunch of football gear and running through the wall, smashing <laughs> through barriers, but like making sure that, that, um, you know, women are getting what they deserve financially from brands, right? Well, I think my heart's there. Um, ultimately it depends on the brand and the budget and all the other things at play. And so I can't take credit for making big changes there but obviously yeah I mean the girls are just as deserving and and I'd love to see more equality in that arena um yeah I think you know there was a time when we, we had to do some some pushing for event uh event producers to to offer equal pay at certain events and and I think we had some success there but that continues but I, I like what you were saying like now there's so many ripping girls. There's so many insane, like, competitive girls and girls in the spotlight, like, really pushing it, making snowboarding look amazing. And, uh, and, and I hope to see that, you know, not necessarily those girls, 
because hopefully they won't have to go get a job. Hopefully they'll reach a level of success if they're at that, you know, at, you know, medal winning Olympic gold, X Games gold, consecutive, you know, career wins. Like they, hopefully they won't have to go get a job because they can set themselves up if they're financially, you know, and you know if they're setting themselves up with a solid financial foundation, then they shouldn't have to work again. But um, but I would like to believe that that means that that large number of girls now in that arena are going to then create more opportunities for more women to follow the path into the industry and to, you know, so hopefully like now we'll see more women entering into the job market in the industry and then ultimately leading businesses because, I mean, it only, it, it should be equal there, at this point. But there, there is also, there, there is some celebrate a hundred percent agree with that. And there is some of that happening. Like one, I want to shed light on maybe celebrating some of that where, where it is happening. When you look at B4BC, right? That's been a successful thing. You have Save a Brain that Kelsey's starting. Uh, you have It's Tits, the event where you guys get together and do a panel. Uh, Desiree's doing Stay. There's there's so many cool brands happening. And, you know, Nirvana over at Roxy and 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 Colleen over at Patagonia. And, you know, there's, there's so many more I'm forgetting. There's not that many more, unfortunately, but there's some I'm forgetting. But one thing that's cool is that I see with the women that I wanted to kind of shed light on is that you guys seem to have a really good, uh, like you get together and support each other is what I'm seeing. And that seems to be like a powerful trajectory you guys are on. So, I mean, I think that that's the truth. Like, I mean, I've actually been fortunate to uh, be part of a weekly, com- or not even weekly, like now it's been every couple of months conversation with Kim Woozy and... And Nirvana has been on those calls and, and so is Colleen. And like, there's just, you know, there's a number of us, not everybody can make every call, but like a round table conversation, just like to help, you know, if you have questions or if there's something that you want to get advice about or a job posting, maybe that you want to fill or, or an introduction to someone or, or some, some avenue that you, you're trying to go down. And, and it's just like been a kind of a cool support group. And, and we just kind of started that this year and I, I wish I could have made more of them but I love that because I mean these are girls from different industries skate surf snow and and apparel and, and like different categories but um but everybody's just there to support each other and to try and figure out how we can help and you know sometimes it's just making an introduction or or you know offering a bit of advice from experience so talking about all this stuff you know particularly what do you think are some things brands can do better to support women? Yeah, I mean, I do think that, like, having the product line offering, for one, uh, it, it doesn't need to be women-specific product in how we used to think of that. You know, it doesn't have to be shrinked and pinked or whatever we used to do as an industry. But, um, but I think by involving the women in like the product discussions and by involving more girls in, you know, if there, there's an opportunity for team gatherings and for uh, marketing discussions and to pitch projects and to, you know, to kind of put that invite out there because I think so many riders, you know, don't know that that's something they can do. Like you can put a pitch together and you can pitch a project. It doesn't have to come from the brand anymore. Like, you don't have to be chosen as the golden one to like get that opportunity to be part of something. If you're proactive and you're, you're, you know, 
putting ideas forward that are valuable for the brands, then, you know, I think it's on the job. It's on the shoulders of the brand to create that opportunity. But then it's also, you know, just to, to reach out to more women and to communicate with more of the girls that are um, on the team to let them know that they, they do have the opportunity to pitch ideas. Cause I think that that's, Different brands run differently. I mean, not everybody has a full team squad, like, traveling and doing everything as one unit. Like, I think nowadays there's so many unique opportunities to, like, come up with ideas and, and you know, pitch them, like, to maybe maybe it's not a movie part or movie project. Maybe it's more of an event or a gathering or some kind of editorial feature or story you want to tell. And, and uh, brands could do a better job of making those opportunities available, but um, I think it's on the individual to get more creative too. Mm-hmm. Super interesting stuff uh, talking about that too. Cause again, that also ties back to what we were talking about earlier. You're not necessarily like you as if somebody's aspiring to be a pro, you're not just your tricks. It's not just your tricks. Like, right. so it's like, you know, if, if you have a, are starting a nonprofit to raise awareness for something like that's also just as cool as doing snowboard tricks. Right. Or if you're an artist and you want to put your graphics on a board, like really cool. Not everybody wants to do that, but if that's what you want to do, really cool. You know, there's so many different kind of avenues that um, it's not always just about the tricks or the result. Yeah. There's no like perfect formula anymore, but I I do think like people resonate with stories. And if you're going to work with a brand, like you want to connect to, you want to connect your story or a story to the brand that you're trying to, you know, promote or partner with. And, and, uh, and often that story of like just going and and filming a clip or winning a contest doesn't resonate with everybody. Like there's gotta be a little more 360 view of who that person is, or maybe, you know, what got them there. I always missed like the background, like the behind the scenes, like when, when snowboarding films just kind of, fell into that formula of clip after clip after trick after trick. And, and I know that like, I might be too old to like have really (laughs) been, um, you know, sucked into that because I'm like, Oh, I want to know like the background, like how did they get there and what's the story behind it? And like, who are those people? Like, uh, you know, you want to see some personality, but I also know there's some kind of statistic out there. I read that like, you know, 85% of women are going to be, more influenced by experience and a connection to a brand. Like they want to, they want that adventure and that experience to before connecting to a brand, like whether that's the experience of going to an event or being, um, or shopping with somebody or, or no, that makes a lot of sense. I'm getting so off track now, (laughs) but yeah, I think women connect to experiences more in general and and there are some statistics to back that up but but I also I, I feel like you know at a certain point like the buying power of women is not being recognized in the industry as much as it should be because we if we have kids like guaranteed we're controlling the spending in the family and what little Johnny buys and little Susie and like it has to go through the mom usually and and like so why not why aren't more companies speaking to that mom in a way like they could still speak to little Johnny and speak to all the other, you know, the youth market, but like also like uh, tell relevant stories that attract 
you know, more mature, mature consumers too, because they're actually spending a lot of money on product these days. And they're actually not just for themselves, but for their kids. And like, I think it's a miss that a lot of companies aren't focusing on, you know, as progressively focusing on a little older demographic and the moms. And I, I know I, I'm biased because that's where I am. Well, no, I, I, I actually have some, I have some data too. No, I, I think that there's data that backs that up too, because thinking about, you know, for example, if you were to look at our podcast, I think one of our most viewed in the top five for sure is Jeremy Jones. And he's part of the forum eight, you know, uh, and he grew up like, so there's a lot of people that are dads now that are in their mid thirties or early forties or whatever grew up idolizing Jeremy Jones as, as a, and, and same thing, like there's moms that grew up idolizing you. So it's like, there's also a lot, like a huge powerful thing for brands is supporting Barrett Christie, right? The, your pro model for so many years, like they might not know who, um, you know, maybe Tess Cody is, or even like the, like a young up and coming ripper, not to discredit Tess Cody. She's incredible. I'm just using that as a random example, but they grew up watching you with posters on their wall and they want to buy a Barrett Christie board, you know? So you, I'm sure you see that with GNU and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, not so much with me. I'm not going to go there with me, (laughs) but like with Jamie, you know, Jamie Anderson, she has the best selling women's model that we make. And and it is premium. It's it's also the most premium model that we have in the line. So, like, you know, her audience is anywhere from the up-and-coming, like, junior shredder to, like, moms and, and 30s, 40s, 50s because she kind of crosses that age spectrum so well. And obviously, like, you can see something in her that you can relate to, whether it's the little girl who wants to be like her and do those contests or whether it's the you know, the mom who wants to like, you know, have the freedom and the, the free spirit that Jamie exudes so well. And, and, and I don't know, I mean, there's, there's examples like that across the guys too, but I do think that there's like, you know, and on the guy side too, do you ever watch vintage, like go on vintage snowboard trader? And yeah. Like, those guys are like fanatics and they're the ones spending like $10,000 on a board because they just remember you know, the good days and <laughs> they, they, they respect and, and want to, you know, stay in, stay in it and then invest in it. And so like the, those guys are cool too. Like there's no like right or wrong, cool marketing strategy. I just think like companies, the more they can like broaden the landscape and speak to more people, the, the better off they're going to be. And to not do that is just a total mess. Uh, well, that brings back another just interesting point about snowboarding is if you think back Snowboarding is young. It's a young sport. It's not like, you know, basketball or whatever. It's been around for generations and there's grandparents that played and their like our grandparents didn't, didn't snowboard. It didn't exist. And so when you look at brands, when they were marketing, like when, when you were, a lot of your ads were geared towards like a 17 year old kid, right? Like you were, especially the old pros from hard hungry and the homeless and stuff. It was like, that you were you were washed up when you were 21 because you're only selling to kids and now we have second generations of snowboard you have kids that snowboard so there's the parent like you're, you're saying like the parents buying power is a new thing because the sport is so young and you don't necessarily just have to market to kids like we did back in the day yeah true 
And there's even, that's why people can be sponsored longer now too, right? There's that whole new market. Someone like Mikey LeBlanc, you might look to him and be like, I want to do what he's doing, not what the 19-year-old's doing. Yeah. So it's interesting. You see that resurgence. I mean, how's Russell? Yeah, Russell's fully sponsored out there, right? (laughs) He's like more sponsored. Yeah, he's doing better now than he was back when he was young. (laughs) He's smarter, I guess, for it. Yeah, but that's true. I mean, it's good. Yeah. And there's, it's not the same formula, but he's, he's relevant. And, you know, like, I mean, their age doesn't really matter when it comes to relevance. Yeah, well, speaking of that, uh, if we're talking about age, uh, we got Todd Richards' guest question. Here we go. <laughs> Fossil. What's up, Bombhole? Todd Richards here with a question for my really good friend, Barrett Christie. Barrett, your accomplishments in snowboarding are legendary in their own right. I mean, you've stood on top of countless podiums, whether it has been slope style or half pipe or big air, you've had one of the most successful women's pro models in snowboarding from GNU. You've ridden for incredible brands like Tag Heuer. You were part of the 98 Olympic team. You've broken boundaries as far as what's possible in women's snowboarding and inspired generations to come. And you're a nice person. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's almost too much to handle. So my question to you is, what was your favorite part about living with me? <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Yes. I wish I had the way of way with words that Todd has. He is so good. That was the best guest question we've had to date right there. That was really sweet. Thank you, Todd. Uh, the best part of living with Todd was... <laughs> I mean, his toy collection. Mm. He had toy. I mean, okay, I could probably tell some more stories, but he did have toys. He lived in a loft, and it, his wall, and it was a tiny loft, and it was like lined with Star Wars toys, and and I'm pretty sure he'd be up there playing with them too at night. Percent. When, he, I, was, he was when like I was going to, to the bar, doing he was little up action there figure stuff. It's actually <laughs> a little bit of a sore subject. I think he lost a bunch of those. Oh no! Oh, in yeah, the fire. There's a fire situation. Actually, yeah. little, might be too soon. Actually, it might be a little bit of unless a too he soon. like got him again. No, no, he got him. No, he still got a bunch though. But Todd was a good roommate. I mean, he was uh, okay. This is when I lived in Breckenridge. I lived with Todd, but I was also hanging out in Vale a lot more. And I think I lived in Breck and I had a Vale pass. And I like I didn't even ride in Breck, but living with Todd and Christine and and Jana Mayan. Yeah, I think about Todd back in that time, and he told me. Actually, I'll start with this. We were at Dew Tour last year, and I called Todd. It was like maybe six p.m. or something after after we had done some announcing, and he's like, I'm "Like, what are you doing, Todd?" He's like, "I'm laying on the floor of my hotel room. I just got done playing. I think he was playing like video games or something." And I'm like. <laughs> He's like, it's incredible. No kids. Nobody needs anything from me. It's like, it's like back in my days in Breckenridge, I used to just, I mean, it was so easy. You know, he was talking about back in the day. It was so easy. I just go snowboard all day and come home and play video games. Like I would kill for that now or something like that. (laughs) And you probably lived with him during that time. Yeah. Todd was definitely up in his little loft playing with his toys while I was at the bar, probably (laughs) 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 doing gymnastics on the dance floor. (laughs) Blowing out your poor knee. (laughs) Todd was great to live with. I love how he turned that question into talk about me. (laughs) 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 Um, No, Todd actually, I mean, during that time, like he stuck, stood up for me a ton. He was always the biggest advocate for 
Jana was our roommate at the time and uh, Wendy Powell and myself. And he was like, he was always like full of compliments, full of opportunities. And, uh, and he'd stand up for me and like definitely talk me down from some, you know, boyfriend drama. And, uh, and he, he's such a good guy. Who, who has a, who's got a better McTwist? Oh, Todd, for sure. You think so? Than me? What do you think, bud? Yeah. Well, maybe go Barrett. I'm going Barrett. I'm going Barrett. I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Todd McTwist. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about some socks. Jed rides them, Jill Perkins rides them, and I ride them. Of course, you know I'm talking about Stance. If you've ever had a pair of socks with that icon logo on the ankle, then you know about Stance socks. Stance is making some of the most comfortable and creatively designed socks and underwear for the snowboarding community for a while now. Lately, their designers have been bringing the same winning formula to clothing. We're talking joggers. We're talking hoodies, hats, and tees. Toe-to-head comfort and creativity. Head on over to stance.com now and use promo code THEBOMBHOLE, all caps. Again, that's promo code THEBOMBHOLE in all caps, to save 20% off your first order. You know that socks are a great gift. Holidays right around the corner. Everybody loves socks. Anyway, head on over to stance.com. Use promo code THEBOMBHOLE for 20% off. So I also heard a rumor that there was a ween song created. <laughs> uh, is it like about you or with you? or what, What's the deal with the ween song? It's not with me. It was, I don't know, you know, like I had, I was, I read that from something that, that they wrote or someone wrote and I was kind of like, I had to go back and listen to the song. I, I, those guys are friends. I hung out, we grew up in the same town and, uh, spent some formative years with them as they were like, kind of, I mean, their first MTV video and like that period of time was really cool and we were going in different directions and, and I was dating my friend Aaron and then ended up leaving to go follow my dreams, go out west, and was just like, okay, well, I'm moving on. And, and they were moving on too, but I think there were some hurt feelings. And, um, and so, like, years later, I listened to that song and it did kind of ring a bell. And then, I don't know, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't be vain enough to make that claim myself. They've I've been to a bunch of shows and, and, uh, I've stayed in touch with Mickey, the other part of Ween. And, uh, and I think he shouted me out when they played it one year and bend and kind of, I think people started asking more. What's the name that. of the song? Um, I think it's, uh, it's like birthday boy or baby bitch. And they talk about the same story in both of them. Interesting. Great songs. Yeah. yeah they're you really, know, the, the lyrics aren't the, the, very nice, though. No. <laughs> like, it's I'm not never, complimentary. No. So, no. You broke somebody's heart. <laughs> well, I guess I might have been a bitch or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. But when you're 18, yeah. you're like. That's how it goes. Everybody's kind of like trying to figure out who they are. And all the, I don't take it personally. It was it was creative fuel for. Yeah. I'd say all the best <laughs> songs ever written are either about love or heartbreak. Yeah. That's it. Like, that's like the great, the greats. <laughs> I mean, and. and yeah, if that's what pulls that creative fire out of you, I guess. Mm -hmm. I really like their music, though, and they're still on tour, and we still go see them when they come out to Washington or nearby. 
Buds, you got a Patreon? Um, yeah, I can throw out a Patreon. Yo, yo, hit up Johan, the guy on the binding. Go behind Johan. Your head. All right. Johan's been here the whole time. Yeah, he's right yeah. there. Do you he's feel his eyes just here. judging right now? He's just <laughs> yeah. passing judgment. Which is funny because in that position, I should be judging him, but <laughs> he's still judging me. I can tell. Typical. <laughs> All right. This is from our good friend and Patreon member, Johan Malkowski. And he says Ask Barrett Roll about her Baker Bank Slalom strategy in racing Megan Pischke. It is rumored she gives Mag's boards with white bases. Well, the boards she races on have black race bases. Is there any truth to the centered Barrett versus extruded Megan? Oh, rumor? my gosh. Johan's such a shit talker. <laughs> um, I remember being pretty scared of Johan when I met him. He and J2, in fact, at a trade show. I mean, not, that's not where I met J2, but I think that's where I met Johan. And Yeah, but he and I are good now. But he does like to start the fire with Megan. And Megan's like me, like... Obviously, we're not training to win competitions, but when you put us in a race or any competition, like, you want to win. And Megan uh, Megan gets boards from, from uh, I mean, she loves Mervyn boards. She can ride whatever she wants, but uh, she really liked the design of one of the boards. I think it was Caitlin's board She's she had been race, racing on. And, in fact, Caitlin's board, I think, did have a centered base, but it was white. <laughs> it just wasn't black. And... There was no strategy around that, but I know that she and I both will get up there and, like, <clears throat> I mean, we're the best of friends, but, like, you want to win, and you don't It's a want, race. Yeah, it's a race, and so <laughs> Johan loves to see that fire, and he just, like, kind of tries to feel it and make it And came up with this conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, and he came up with that, and he's like, you were totally giving her a bad board, and no, that's not the case. That's not the case. No. I got a backup Patreon question. Yeah. This is from Benny Pellegrino. Barrett, Benny. we got to know just how many bank slalom rolls of duct tape are in your house. And he says 25 to 30 with a question mark. Oh, I don't know. They're, They're just mostly temples yeah. and now cannons too. Um, no, I've, I mean, I've got, I've only got one gold for pro women's. And I got a gold for pro masters women's, but. A few seconds and thirds. Can't a temple has a lot more than I do, but he won't let me put him in the house. Oh, really? Like I had this shelf in our guest room, which isn't so that our guests have to look at it, but <laughs> it was like the only room in the house with a shelf, and I had it as my office at some point, and they were all up there, and he was just like he couldn't look at them all the time. He put them in the garage, so now he has this like corner of the loft in the garage. Nobody will ever see him, and they're all up there. And I wish he would show them off, but. We do have a bunch of Pendleton blankets, and so judging by the blankets, maybe like twenty something. Wow! So but it is twenty something. Maybe. Whew. And Cannon won the his division. He did. I mean, now it's been two years since we've done a bank song. Yeah, COVID years. shut it down, right? Now, it's have, been a while. I have a big question. He was like junior boys when he did it, and he'll be pro men's next time. Wow. Now, you're going to need to think uh, really hard and deep about the answer to this because your Northwest credibility may lie on the answer to this question. <laughs> what do you uh, think is, what do you enjoy having more? Uh, what are you more proud of, winning X Games or winning Baker Bank Slalom? Oh, Bank Slalom. Sure. <laughs> I'm not just saying Good, that. I'm glad you answered that correctly. That was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have got yourself in trouble. You could have got... Uh, you might have gotten evicted from the town. If evicted. You, evicted. <laughs> from the Northwest. Kicked out of the Northwest. You had to move, to, you had to move to, back to Utah. You answered that wrong. It was so hard won. I mean, it's so dramatic that that race is like... 
I get emotional just thinking about it now. And like now we've got three of us in the family racing and I'm more nervous for Temp and Cannon. And and then like, I don't know if Isla, Isla does a race too. She was, you know, in the junior category before, but like it's really anxiety. Now, supposedly sure. like nobody can get into this race. You guys got four people in the family in there. And it sounds well, no, like... we have to qualify. Oh, like actually I didn't qualify last time. They I don't just totally let you in. Blew it. And so the next time we do a bank slalom, um, you, you would either have to qualify through a locals qualifier, which Isla has had to try and do every year, or you get a sponsor spot. Yeah, I got a spot. Oh, your COVID year. Cause, spot. cause COVID, oh, uh, right. or if I was going to go, but you COVID, go. I was going to go race the Baker banks. Mm. Um, but so one year, the year you won it, you and Temple both won, right? I know. That's special. So romantic. Huh? That's, that's, that's <laughs> it was special. special. And I think I was flying out the next day to X games too. And I feel like that was right. That moment where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to miss Banks Lollum to go hit another kicker. But, um, but yeah, that I mean, you don't know. You do your if you make it to the final day, you do your two runs, and you don't really know until the award ceremony in the evening, like whether you were faster or slower on your second run. And I mean, usually for me, it's like I'm gonna fall one, and I'm gonna maybe do okay the next run. Like I'm not that consistent. And that year was icy, and and I I kind of over time have done better on icy courses, just holding an edge and not blowing out but when you do blow out it hurts more it's more dramatic for sure but um but I think that was a really icy course and I know Victoria was racing and she was always the one to beat and and uh and I think that it did come down to that final run like I didn't have her beat on the first run and I had to get it on the second run so it was like there was the drama and the excitement and yeah and then Temple won too and he's won a few more than that but that was the only time I won as a pro Wow. Yeah. Now, you got any secret uh, base tuning techniques? One ball wax. Ooh, do, you bake, ball do you bake your boards? I do. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I, What's baking the boards? Put I in a big oven, basically. Get, actually, I think I sent that year, I think I sent them to somebody in um, in Utah that was doing structure. McDermott? Structure on it. No, but now I use McDermott. Okay. Yeah. Now, all you the time. You still use McDermott? Well, I didn't as a competitor. I don't think he was doing mm-hmm. it then, but back in 2000 one or whenever that was but now uh now whenever i'm i usually go to the x games to support jamie and any of the other athletes we have and then leave my board with him there and then i'll get it back when i go home all structured and tuned. smart yeah but i I didn't always do that but that one year that temp and i won we both had sent our boards off and got structure on them so i think that really helps especially when it's you know icy or a little moisture in the snow and you never know what you're going to get. It helps. And it makes that humming sound when you're riding it. It just feels fast. It's a true testament to the real snowboarder, snowboarder of you. And I think about the fact that you guys uh, have both you. won is like, that's like a lifetime achievement award. Might as well go on Oprah for that. As far as <laughs> snowboarding is concerned. Yeah, some people will like now uh, how forever. much pressure is on the candidate. Are you guys like, is he maybe going to get disowned if he doesn't like do well? Or are you no. guys pretty, we don't care. <laughs> Race day in the morning must be crazy. Race day with your so, like, I almost don't even want to do it anymore because I just want to like let it be with those guys. Like, yeah. Let them race. Cause it is like, Oh, cause it, you can't be like hundred percent supportive of them and then still be like all self-absorbed and trying to like 
That's so true. And I will beat myself up too. And I, I mean, it doesn't matter if I don't snowboard much anymore, if I'm definitely not in race shape. And um, if I blow it, I'm still going to just be like, I'm going to wallow in my misery for days. <laughs> the car ride home. It's, oh, I'm the worst. <laughs> and so it's better if I just avoid the situation. But of course, you'll if do I can't, I'll do it. But I, I know that it's going to be dramatic. <laughs> so now that, that you're a mom, which is badass, and you guys have an awesome family, you and Temple. And um, what do you what do you enjoy more? Like, would you say that you're more proud of like riding those big contest days, or is it more about just the days with the family, like riding with the kids? What's better? Oh, for sure, riding with the kids. Um, yeah, I mean, like our local hill is Baker, but our closest hill is Hurricane Ridge, and that's. Uh, right behind the Mervyn factory, basically like really short distance and it's national park terrain. So it's not super accessible, often not accessible at all. <laughs> but during the week, um, they have road closures, but in, on the weekends there is a, a rope tow and a pommel lift, but there's also like easy access to ridge lines and you can get out there and split board or, or just for board testing. It's awesome. But the kids have grown up doing some riding there and Cannon is, started to split board up there with temple a bit and but yeah um just days on the hill with with the family at baker are great i love like i still i mean whether it's baker or anywhere just going up to ride and having no pressure like no cameras no contests no judges like those are the days that i mean that's that's awesome so sweet. Well, we've been cruising along, buds. It yeah. might be time for you know what. Name that video part. Oh, God. Name that video part is presented by Woodward. Woodward Park City is about 15 minutes from Salt Lake City, two miles past Parley Summit, and they're open 365 days a year with twilight lift access for biking and shredding as conditions allow. This is a one-of-a-kind action sports community hub. Takes the whole idea of Hucket and Hope away from action sports with foam pits, trampolines, airbags, proprietary training equipment, and some of the best coaches in the biz. I'll tell you what, buds. I've been thinking about getting in that foam pit and learning quadruple chucks. I would love to see that, Chris. It's also one of Salt Lake's only indoor parks. It's a really fun skate park, and I love that you can skate year-round. If it's hot, you can get some AC. If it's cold, you can skate in the winter. Drop in for a session or lesson or go all in with a monthly membership. Woodward Park City is a one-of-a-kind training facility with trampolines, foam pits, and coaching, all designed with progression in mind. If you're in the Utah area, check out Woodward Park City. All right, Barrett. How are you feeling confidence level-wise? Oh, zero. Zero. Yeah. She, Big zero. I hope you love an easy one at me, please. I talked to her on the phone, and um, she basically made it sound like she knows no video parts. Zero. Like, never watched. This never thing. watched. Not once. Never. It doesn't. I'm kidding. I mean, I have, <laughs> but I don't know. I actually probably watched them on mute most of the time. Watched them on mute. Okay, <laughs> here we go. I'm supposed to know that, huh? Uh, you can. I also thought of doing Pictionary as a potential way to do it because I wasn't sure if you'd get it. So I thought of a potential idea of doing that if you don't know it. Is it a temple part? 
Is it Morgan? Is it Megan? I thought you'd love someone kind of, at me that I know. <laughs> it's a it's kind of a montage. Um, oh. Oh, it's full moon. Yeah, oh, you got yeah. it. Yes. You didn't even have to go oh, wow. Okay. I was oh, practicing. See, I did you got, so you got I did right. not mute for that you video. Right. I do it's in love there. it. It's in you your head. Right. Yes. All right. Full moon. You got a bomb hole prize pack. Thanks to the guys over at Yeti. They oh, sent over this. Thank Speaking you. of a full moon, that's a, that's a, a full, full packy. Oh, full package right We threw there. some so stuff in for excited. the fam of Temple or Canon or Sweet. thank you. Any yeah, of, any I, you guys want any of that? If, if I, I got to shout out the Full Moon crew, um, Rob and Leanne, all of those girls were so. I mean, just to, I was so so stoked to be involved in it. But the fact that they like, I know what it takes to build a project out like that, and and they they went through the whole thing and like the the sponsors and getting the support and like orchestrating the whole thing and putting the trips together and the storylines and like. And then to cover the past and the future in, I mean, and some of the best riding too. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. This was going to be my charades I was going to do. It's like, that was a moon. <laughs> That's a full cup of water. Would you have gotten that, you think, or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm glad you actually got it. Yeah, well, that's incredible. Congrats on that. Um, for part two of Name That Video Part, this is for the listeners. Um, if you know the answer, comment on... Barrett's photo when on Instagram on our Instagram when this comes out. That's where we pick our winner. Here we go. Okay. Thank you guys for playing. Name that video part. So we never actually fully clarified this on air, but um, as you moved out of your pro career, uh, you basically got a job with Mervin, and what is it that is your job title right now? I actually, there was a long time where there was no. T I think Pete gave me the title director of awesome, and that was pretty cool. But it didn't. I mean, that could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> um. I've, now my title is director, women's director of product and marketing. Um. But. Yeah, I mean there was a there was a long transition period there. I was I had the luxury of kind of easing my way into the workforce. I went from competing at the tail end of my contracts, started having a family and had Canon and then actually was kind of Mervin and Nike both kept me on in some capacity as an advisor or um creative consultant on like with Mervin with product development and then eventually building out a women's program and a team. And then with Nike on the other side, it was Nike 6.0 and, and Nike snowboarding. And so I sort of kind of had this thing go, and they're both very opposite in how the businesses are run and how the budgets are. But, you know, still the people in, at the core of it are all, like we all were just there trying to build uh, snowboard programs and create more opportunities for others and, and so I had Isla in 2009 and, uh, and then kind of was just like, God, I want a regular job. I want to know when the paychecks are coming, not like when the contract's over. I wanted to like not deal with the taxes and being an LLC and like, I don't know, it seems like in hindsight, it, it's kind of a narrow minded, you know, way of living. Like I just wanted that. I wanted that normal life. Like didn't want to travel anymore. Two kids wanted to settle down and like just sort of know what I was doing. And 
and maybe start down that path. So I was all for it when the opportunity came up to be an employee at Mervyn. And, and at that point I let the Nike opportunity go and, and, uh, was living closer to Seattle when that's where our office was. And, and knowing that the factory was in Washington and that, you know, where we were living was kind of right between both of them. So it was an hour and a half either way to get to one place or the other. And then, uh, and then we moved out to Squim, Washington, which is near the factory, and uh, and just kind of rolled from doing creative work and helping with product, like I wasn't like, doing product development, but I was definitely like sourcing artists and like trying to decorate the boards and work with a graphic designer to make them actual snowboard graphics, but then also um, finding girls and building a team. So at that point, it was like a matter of building and uh and and that was really fun but it's it's totally evolved i mean snowboarding's blown up and we've had now we had like one women's pro model in 90, 1995 and then now we have like 28 women's models that i work on between gnu live and roxy and so it's it's awesome and i think mervin's still leading the way in terms of women's product assortment and uh and and medal count too hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, just just Barrett alone, but then you got Caitlin Farrington and you got Jamie, and that also leads me to kind of like it seems like you have an eye for talent, right? Because you're finding talent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, I think it's easy. Some of that those girls that you just mentioned, like it didn't take a real seasoned eye to notice the talent there. They're just they're incredible, but. Again, it goes back to like building relationships. They could have written for anybody, but like I'm a fan and I wanted to, to work with them as much as they wanted a sponsor that supported them. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was really like that was a total highlight in my career, like on the other side, not being a competitor, but being around for when Caitlin and Jamie both won gold medals at the Olympics, like that was so gratifying and so rewarding just because I remember both of them when they were pretty young and met them both when they were like 15 and, and to see them come up and, you know, follow their passion, but also like take unique paths to, um, to get to their success levels. Cause they weren't really, you know, Jamie doesn't follow the team because she's part of the U S team, but she does things her way and she's, earn that right but she will continue to be her own free spirit and Caitlin too had a totally different path grew up on a ranch rode horses and and definitely did things her way well I got a guest question from a co-founder of GNU LibTech Mervin Pete Sorry. oh here we go hey V it's Pete Sorry from Mervin had a question for you to bomb out on it's a two-parter what exactly are essential oils and your family is probably the only family in the world with its own personal snowboard side cut. What's that all about? <laughs> I'm not sure what essential oils have to do with the side cut. But <laughs> let's talk essential oils. Thanks, Pete. Let's talk Pete for a second. <laughs> yeah, let's give him an air. Let's let's give him a big old air horn. Um. Yeah. Pete and Mike. Pete Sari and Mike Olson are the founders of Mervin and. They are the heart and soul of the company, and, and I have the privilege of working with both, but more closely with Pete every day, and uh, he's the creative director, but he's, like I said, the heartbeat 
behind the creative and marketing side of the company and um and he's my neighbor now and so I love him and his family essential oils I don't know where that came from (laughs) (laughs) actually I have some in my purse like I use thieves and try to always kind of have nice smelling things not like what you guys are into sniffing but (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah smelling salts salts. these are basically like essential oils if you want to try one we can i mean you should uh, i remember my grandmother had smelling salts really old purses because like ladies used to faint a lot yeah something there was always there was always tissues band-aids and smelling salts in her purse just in case you could wake someone up if they fainted. Yeah, in case they fainted. Well, would you want to do a mild old lady smelling salt? You just, yeah. Here, I'll get you. You just kind of work your way up. Don't go right to the nose. Just you squeeze don't go it. all crazy. Ian Buds will, will split. You this do one have after. to squeeze. Do you got to squeeze the middle of it, and it'll it'll kind of pop. It's like and then pop uh, it first. Turn, turn yeah, pop it, and then just Red. slowly ease it up to the nose. Like, there it is. Oh. <laughs> easy, easy on it. You gotta get you in. You gotta get a little more. more. You gotta get in a no, little. No, no, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Why is it red? I'm not sure how it all works. It's the chemical reaction, I guess. Is this stuff bad for you? Uh, legally, I'm not sure yet. we're allowed to answer that. Yeah, we don't. It's it's kind of gross. No comment. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, woo! Okay. Yeah, you went right in. <clears throat> yeah. So those are basically like essential woo! oils. So, yeah. What are essential oils? Oh, I saw those red packets over there. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, Juice left it. <laughs> oh Going back in seconds. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Okay. Yeah, that'll wake you up. Yeah. So, my hands so essential oils. So essential oils. <laughs> um, they just smell good? Yeah, but you know what? We also like total believers in CBD oils and like the benefit of, of I don't, I mean, I don't know. I've got a lot of aches and pains, a lot of things that come back to haunt me. And, and I definitely use the CBD oils and creams and, uh, and also just like the room to smell nice. So a little mm-hmm. lavender and thieves now and then. And that makes yeah. sense. You ever walk into Cinnamon. Whole Foods, bud? Buds? Yeah. What you're smelling is essential oil. Oh, really? That's what's Most going likely. on. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know Okay, that. and part two was <laughs> something about some side cut that you guys that yeah. secretly. Well. That's how you win Baker Banks family Bank's side fall, cut? Apparently. It is a family side cut. I didn't come up with it. Temple actually did. And it's called Progressive Magnet Traction. So Mervyn definitely like started the magnet traction trend i know there was like different waves around the same time that came out with um with edge uh design but but really the way magnet traction works is they're like strategically placed points that you know at the contact and throughout the the turning radius they help you grip the snow and they don't slow you down and they don't um create drag but they assist in grip and edge control and uh and also prevent like slipping out and skidding and and i really like magnet magna traction but um i know there's a camp of people that don't don't want it or don't like it or don't believe in it and that's okay there's boards for everybody but temple um actually after watching and it's not like we do video review of bank slalom but somebody had a video of him skidding out on one of his turns that like you know, it looked cool, but it was like that little skip was enough to lose the rate. Like it takes you from first place to 10th place, you know, in fractions of a second. And, and he was watching it and he's like, God, it was just like a lot of people race without mag. Cause they think that that might slow them down, but that's not really the case. Like I, people have won that bank slalom with magnet traction, but, 
but it depends on how you ride. And Temple and I both ride, like I like to dive the nose of my board into my turn. I don't need any help initiating my turn, but if I'm going to be skipping and sliding around, it's going to be on the exit of my turn. It's at the tail where it just kind of chatters out. And and so he was like, I wish I had the radial entrance and then the the mag at the tail because I do really need it and like it. And, and you know, for different reasons, I liked it too because just even if I'm not thinking about racing, which Temple isn't thinking about all the time, but even if you're just riding around on the resort, you want to be able to hold your edge. I love carving. I love just like that flowing around on a mountain and don't necessarily need features to jump off of. But if, if there's the right feature to turn around or like – it's just fun and flowy, and, and I don't want, um, I don't need the mag throughout. I really like being able to dive into my turn and have it catch and then hold throughout the arc of my turn. And that's progressive mag does that, so it's radial, and then the mag gets goes from mini to more prominent towards the tail. Wow. When did you guys come up with this? Temple came up with it, um, and that was three years ago, and so he had it on his board two years ago, and then... Um, and now he and Cannon are designing their board together, and then I just jumped on the bandwagon and stole it last That's year. Cool. <laughs> so well, I, I want to see how it does at Baker Bank. This yeah. could be. Uh, I think it, be. I think it's pretty good for the bank salon, but it's good just for cruising too. So and we have it on the split boards too. So, and that that actually is really nice. I think it's really cool to hear you guys talk about product because yeah. I, I don't really ever think about boards on that deep of a level. And yeah, I've never thought about the way I make an initiated turn like she just did. Well, not everybody. I mean, some people are front foot heavy. Some people are back foot heavy. And, and then obviously if you're riding a park or a pipe and your switch, you, you want that, you know, want, want it to be even both ways. I pretty much only ride front foot forward these days. That's if almost I turn it around, I can handle it, but not for long. <laughs> it almost <laughs> I don't want to. reminds me of surf style, the way you're talking about mm-hmm. when you dive into a turn with your front foot and then your back is kind of what hooks up. Yeah. Well, when you figure out surfing style, you can teach me. <laughs> I, don't, I, I basically almost drowned every time I go. But I heard from uh, I'm Pete. still trying to figure it out. You mentioned that you, um, when you paddle into waves, uh, you also kick and use your back feet, and apparently it makes a... Uh, uh, Jerry Lopez really upset. Yeah. Oh, Pete mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, Pete gave me that. That's where you came up with that. I got oh, a little insider. I thought, I thought maybe you talked to Alex. No. Yeah, Alex was there. Yeah. No, I I think um, it was an amazing trip we got to take, and and we've met Alex and Jerry Let's over the air years. horn. Alex is an awesome snowboarder, an awesome human, and uh, and so is Jerry, and uh, and got to go surf on a surf trip with them, and. And it was a right. I live in the land of the lefts, and all I I'm goofy, so surfing frontside is just beautiful and easy. And and like I know the waves, and I know my spots, and feel confident there. But we go to Mexico and are surfing a right the whole time, and it makes me feel really awkward. And and plus, I think it was the waves. I don't know. I needed a little help getting into him. And Jerry would every once in a while just paddle out and just give me a push, but. I wasn't always expecting the push and, and I tend to like, if I see something coming, I'll just start spazzing and kicking and paddling and like trying my hardest to get into the wave. And it's, it's not really, that's not how you should do it. I mean, it's finesse. It's about being in the right spot, knowing how the water's moving and knowing your trajectory and knowing where to take off. And, and if, if you're good, you don't 
have to spaz out and kick, but Jerry would come around and sometimes I wasn't, I didn't know he was there and I would just instinctively start kicking and, and I think I kicked him once. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's weird when someone tries to help you out and they come and kick. push you like that. Yeah. It makes you feel like kind of like. I don't know, a certain way. A little degrading. Yeah. A little degrading. No, when they don't really say anything, degraded. they just creep up on you and I'll try tell you, to if push it gets you. me into the wave, I'll do whatever True. whatever. Because they're takes. just trying to help you out, right? Yeah. I know, no, no. I mean, Jerry's awesome, and I will take a push from him anyway. True, true. Huh? But uh, it did make me realize, like, what a spaz I am. <laughs> you just spaz out and kick. Yeah. <laughs> what other... Uh, Products, technology things have you worked to develop with Mervin? Because I, I think I love hearing you talk about the product stuff. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> we had a, so when, it, I know I talked about this earlier, like, like we went from having the board that I contributed my artwork for, the Stupid Cap series, and then and then we rolled from a, a cap series into sandwich construction, so where you don't, you know, you don't see many cap boards out there. No. Yeah, cap boards are they fell off dinosaurs. Yeah. Cap construction that made for a really torsionally stiff board, which is good in some ways, but not if it's not proportionate to your size and your power. Um, so I remember going from cap to sandwich and like having the choice between the two, and then and then eventually like cambers like. First, everything was camber. I didn't know any different. But then when they came out with our banana or C2, you know, the camber hybrids, like, it, it there's no right or wrong, but it, it is a different way of riding. Like, if you need that camber, like, if you are a back foot rider, like, it helps to have camber because it holds you up. And, and if you have the reverse camber, you could tend to slide out a little more. And I don't, I, I, I'm not a super centered rider. I like to ride in the back seat, and I tend to, lean on my back foot and so i prefer camber and but the c2 is great because then you can lift up your nose and i mean you want me to just keep rambling <laughs> no i like <laughs> we it. went from like the construction and to the camber stories and then now there's like the whole you know you can add in like magnet traction or progressive magnet traction and progressive radial side cuts and i mean but it is cool i i enjoyed getting to know it and i think when i first had a board like somebody asked me my waist width and there's no I couldn't have told you and I mean people who've had boards for 15 years might not know that and mm -hmm. that's okay because the, they're giving you feedback you know like what's what's working and what isn't and then the engineers or I'm like the go-between you know I'm not an engineer but I can go between the riders and then both from my personal experience and from feedback from them and and ultimately like you know hopefully we find a perfect formula that works for whoever it is we're trying to make it for or sell it to. Well, there's some people that are such tech heads. They know every spec yeah. on a board. And if they come and ask you, they get bummed if you don't know what's up. If you're working for a brand. Yeah. Because I never knew any of that stuff either. It's yeah, crazy, you had crazy a board brand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you're at a trade show and someone's like, what is the radius? And you're just like, oh, damn, dude. No I, I had a board for 10 years and oh, all I cared, cared about was the graphic yeah like you probably yeah, weren't just you like, didn't give any influence on like what this needed the to shape be and the graphic and I was pretty yeah pretty and for the shape you could like probably draw it and that would yeah, be enough exactly yeah it's yeah interesting. it's cool I mean snowboard construction has come a long way there's a lot especially when it. you see when you we raced uh at Bombhole cup we raced vintage class which is the race for boards over 30 years old I believe is the mm -hmm. cutoff and you're like trying to make a turn. I was on this old Sims, uh, Noah Slazdick, Noah's Ark, and the thing just is like doesn't want to get on edge. And oh, yeah. Yeah, they totally have come such a long way. Uh, it's actually a science to it, huh? 
Well, you got people like these guys inventing yeah. side cuts. Yeah, inventing different ways to do it. Yeah, well, I think Mike and Pete were definitely at the forefront of side cut. And how many years is, have they been doing the brand? Um, I think uh, Mike was making boards in his garage in the 70s. That's crazy. 80s. I mean, I, I know I talked about Amy Howitt. Like, she was the she was the world champion 80 God, yeah, I remember seeing her in like, some videos back Yeah, then, and like by 89. then they had a full-blown line, and they had, like, more women on the team than men. I remember, and, like, a new team video that when I started snowboarding, it was, like, Oh, the GNU meal? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. I was wondering what it was called. That's crazy, and she was in that movie. I thought you were going to play uh, some a video part from that, the music. <laughs> He's probably never seen it. It's probably no. hard to find. Yeah, I had yeah, a VHS of it. That's crazy. Oh yeah, and that that was and that was cool. That was a creative project. It wasn't just. I mean, for a lot of people that would have seen that movie, it may have been an introduction to the sport. Yeah, and so it was. Unique. And there wasn't a lot of brands even doing projects like that. There was no. like Burton and and them and Sims maybe. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and talk about a contest called the Style Experience, buds. Canada Snowboard is revolutionizing the big air game with their newest event, the Style Experience. With an integrated style contest component, this is the perfect combination of progressive and timeless tricks. Yep, this one's going to be high revs, buds. Watch the best snowboarders in the world chuck carcass at the largest big air contest Canada has ever seen in the winter stronghold of, of Edmonton, Alberta. It's going down in the Commonwealth Stadium, boasting VIP suite options, private bars, heated tents, a vendor village, and much more. Fire this one up on the evening of December 10th, Canada. The style experience is made possible through the partnership between Canada Snowboard and Explore Edmonton presented by Toyota. Get on the most stylish winter gear and secure a spot at the winter event of the year on Ticketmaster. All right. We have a Patreon question from Ronnie Barr. Right, which gave you better feels? Any of the amazing accomplishments in your career or all of the amazing opportunities you give so many young ladies in snowboarding? Oh, that's nice, Ronnie. Um, definitely. I mean, the the accomplishments in my career were short, you know? Like, it wasn't a long time, and I feel like I've spent twice as much time trying to create opportunity for others and and just doing the work that i hope um i hope builds a stronger industry and builds more participation and so those that gives me the feels because that there's no time limit to that you know hopefully i can be doing that for you know until i retire and sail away into the sunset and you probably only get better and better at it yeah there's no age limit yeah just learn yeah more to offer i guess as you age yeah well, we uh, talked about a lot of the accolades, all the X Games, U.S. Opens, Gravity Games, Grand Prix, you know, Baker Banked, obviously the most prestigious uh, Women's Rider of the Year with, I think, Transworld. But you got ESPN Action Sports and Music Awards, Female Snowboard of the Year. That sounds like a pretty mainstream badass award. How How is that? I think that was before that was before they did ESPYs. Yeah. It was like the year before or something. And, and it was just... Uh, it was just action sports people, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it was awesome. It was like going to L, you know, Hollywood and going to a big theater and 
I remember, you know, Kelly Slater and I saw Jack Johnson and he was sweet. And he said, congratulations when I walked by. <laughs> like, wow. And legendary. I saw Metallica and I sat right in front of them. And You sat right in front of them. Yeah. And I also sat in front of Tara Dakitas and I went into that with a busted foot. So that was the year that I had my foot uh-huh. surgery and on crutches and pretty much my ego was busted too. Like i just thought like, this is it. I'm the, you know, like Tara passed me by, like all these girls are coming up and like, I'm not there anymore. So I was kind of probably struggling a bit with like what that next thing looked like and how I was going to transition from being a top competitor to like what's next. And that's like an emotional time, especially when you're on crutches. And, um, and then I, I ended up winning, and that was kind of like, well, I had zero preparation for it. Didn't was like, I didn't want to like set my hopes on it because I was positive I did not deserve it. And so, um, I'm really grateful for that. I still got the trophy hanging up. That's, Were you on crutches the day you won it? Yeah, you had to like crutch up. But there I did for get to sports. go get. <laughs> I did get to go get like styled and, and oh, you dressed did. in wardrobe. Like, an Armani like little silk Ooh. suit and had diamonds. And so I had to give them all back. But <laughs> yeah, they give you diamonds and stuff. Huh? I painted my crutches black before nice. I went down there. Yeah, well, almost kind of as prestigious as the Baker Bank slalom wins right yeah. there. Wow, <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah, that's, that's cool. sick. Uh, speaking of like talking about knowing what to do after after your career, I know outside of Mervin, you've been doing some, I guess, kind of helping people plan for the future. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of changes in the past few years, like whether it be COVID or, or just, I mean, getting older myself, but, um, but I've been pretty hyper-focused on like, you know, what that transition looks like for both riders and then for people at any stage of their lives. Like I think COVID alone is a major, major like world event, world phenomenon that we didn't have to go through as kids. So I've got two kids that are like have lived through a pandemic and like, what does that look like on the back end? And like, what are the things they've learned from that? But also how it's changed the industry and how it's changed the definition of professional snowboarding. Like there's way more digital online presence. There's way more influencers now than there was five years ago. And there's way more, um, just stay at home working scenarios and stay at home people being influenced. And, uh, and so, like, I think that 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 kind of set me off in the beginning of COVID. Like, there's a lot I wanted to learn. I figured, okay, I'm home. I want to keep learning. And so I started down this road taking leadership courses. I took a landmark course, a couple of them. Those are fun if you ever get a chance to. What's a landmark? Dive. Yeah, what is that? It's uh, it's called the Landmark Forum, and it, and it really is, like, it's pitched as a leadership course. I didn't know much about it, but I knew some pretty badass women that had been to them and and took their advice I was like okay I'll go it's three days intensive like in person in a classroom for 12 hours a day and and it just kind of it helps you reframe how you feel about life and goals and and leadership and and ultimately like no matter what has happened in the past like you are just like your moment your life starts now like you live in the present and look towards the future because it doesn't matter what happened in the past. And we're all telling ourselves stories about like who we are and, you know, could be based on what you've accomplished in snowboarding or like if your identity is tied up in snowboarding or in, in a certain job or 
as a parent and then all of a sudden things change and like like you can really go down a deep dark hole and so like and I didn't go in there with a hole that I was trying to climb out of but it did I did want to like kind of get a better grasp of what how I would proceed and and like what leadership looks like and how I could sort of like quit taking or stop having barriers around me like because I'm my biggest critic and I'm my biggest like enemy when it comes to progression in snowboarding and in career I think that we all kind of do that we talk ourselves out of a lot of things when we're just kind of struggling with insecurities or trying to get past failures or big life events and so that was pretty timely and that just led me to like look forward and try to um, figure out you know what 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 more I can do you kind of just don't want to do the same thing over and over again and uh and so then I then I took a, a leadership course through uh, OSU, which was like a pilot program, and it was kind of like for outdoor industry. Learned about land management and like um, different different styles of leadership, and and I guess you just kind of like you you just I don't know. I that was definitely at the point of not saying no to anything, and that thing came up, and I'm like, sure, I'll do it. But it, and it wasn't like I learned a bunch of facts or figures that are kind of launch me into a new stratosphere, but it did like introduce me to more people and, and create the opportunity for more conversations and, and inspired me in new ways. And so um, the next thing that happened was I was like, I got to get my financial life together. But I also didn't really know much about money or just the basic fundamentals of how it works. And like, now I'm an employee, I have a 401k. Like, what is that? How does that work? Nobody teaches you that. They might give one to you if you have a job, but they don't really teach you how that works with taxes and, like, what your long-term strategy might look like. And I have a financial planner, and she's been great, but she wasn't a teacher. Like, I didn't go to her to learn about what she's doing. I just kind of gave some money to her and let her do her thing. And so, uh, so I went down that path, and I started diving into some financial education, and all that, I think is really connected. And, uh, and from learning about that, I've kind of realized that, okay, if I'm going to go down this road, I'm going to learn, then I would like to like get a license. I'd like to be able to help other people. So I got my license. What's the actual license? licenses. I got a license in insurance because that, um, I was like, that's kind of the first step for me to like be able to help people with protection. And, and with an insurance license, you can help people with certain long-term financial strategies that utilize insurance products. Not like invest, like I'm not interested in doing stock investments for somebody, but I am interested in like protection and letting people, like guiding them in ways that they can move money to places where they're going to have less of a tax impact. And so insurance plays a role in that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and ironically, right when I got my insurance license, Temple and Cannon were in a pretty bad car accident. And uh, boy, I got thrown into insurance talk and insurance world for like the last year and a half. But you were prepared for it. I'm more prepared. I mean, more I don't prepared have my than car insurance the average license, person. But yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah. I was more prepared with, with like the process and and the company and maybe how to deal with them and a little bit yeah and ultimately how to get a lawyer to deal with them yeah <laughs> wow that's intense but it was just kind of like okay well this is good because it also taught me like dude we've done 
like stuff that most people would consider, you know, life threatening or like, I mean, we've done like, you know, conscious, we've made, had conscious risks in our lives through snowboarding and through all the activities that we do. But it's not usually when you're driving that you think like anything could happen or like this could go wrong. And, and yeah, it was one of the situations where they were hit head on by somebody who lost control. And so like in a moment, things could have completely changed. Like, I mean, things did change. Our lives have shifted since then, but it was really like a reminder of how fragile life is, how important it is to live in the moment because life is now. You have control over your decisions. You can go anywhere you want in the future, but also like just cherish the ones you have and, and do what you can now to protect yourself so that like if something gnarly happens, then you and your family are at least like prepped or like you have a foundation and you're not, you know, you're not going to leave them with a mess. That's uh smart that you did that. Cause what you were saying earlier, you didn't even have uh, any insurance when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. So you went from that to where you are now. I know. And I had a few things. I mean, insurance is like, I mean, you didn't have health. Nobody insurance. wants to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's not fun. And it's kind of, people think of it as like a scam, but I mean, you can get into some when you need it, though. But yeah, I mean, yeah. there's it's like that's a blanket uh, category. Like we could talk insurance and all the different ways it can work for you or against you. But um, but yeah, I didn't have a health insurance when I was younger. Obviously, saw a need for that pretty quick. But I also had some good advice from uh, my agent at the time, Astafin. Like advised myself and all the other athletes, probably Todd and. Um, his other athletes to get disability insurance and somebody came and talked to us about disability and, and that was a pretty expensive policy, but I was like, okay, I could see, you know, I'll I'll do it. And then like, that was the year I broke my foot. And if I didn't have that disability policy, my pay would have gone down and then I would have been like kind of depressed and trying to figure out what's next and, you know, not be paying my bills because I didn't have money, money coming in. And so that worked out in my favor too. And somebody like, I wouldn't have known to go do that, but, um, you know, somebody told me that was something smart to do, and so I did it. In school, they so. don't really go over the actual important things, like no. taxes and insurances and yeah, financial planning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people my age <laughs> yeah. don't know it, and no. it's just, like, the basics of, like, if you're going to pay taxes, like, you're either going to pay them now, or you're going to defer them till later, or you're going to try to do your best to avoid the impact of taxes altogether, and... You know, ideally, there's, I mean, there's different ways you can you can get into all ways, those right? those three buckets. Yeah. But um, but the older I get, the more, and the more important I think it is to protect yourself from, you know, putting everything in the tax deferred category and like just put it off for later because I think taxes might go up, you know. But also, like, I mean, there's real estate and there's all the things that like you just think like, oh, you're set. I have a house. I'm good. I'll just sell that someday. But you never know. Mm-hmm. Like he just wants to diverse, to spread it out. Yeah, spread di- it around. in the words of uh, Wu Tang, diversify those bonds. <laughs> um, yeah, going back, you kind of breezed over the car accident, and how it made you uh, be a little more present. But I think those big altering life shakeups, like, did it give you more appreciation? Like, what what were the effects of that with you and the whole family? Yeah, I mean. Nothing prepares you for that. I feel like we've been so blessed, so lucky, and avoided so many like bomb holes along the way. And uh, 
And so, yeah, I, I mean, you can't help but feel like grateful and more present after something like that. I think I spun out probably more than the boys. Like that was that was definitely a post traumatic stress event, and and we're all still kind of coping with it. But also, we're so grateful. I mean, you can't obviously like it doesn't take much to 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 turn everything off and that was a pretty impact you know high impact event and they're just really lucky we had a big truck and uh the airbags went off and, and it was head on you said right it was head on and uh and yeah and i mean temple was more crushed on the passenger side cannon was driving and he was pretty crushed too but he got out and and yeah i mean there could have been like any number of things like in any different angle or different you know scenario it it could have been, you know, I can't imagine. And and I know people are even smaller like, car, like you were saying. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so now, like, good luck getting back into a full size truck post that accident because prices went from like, you know, could have gotten a new yeah. one for sixty grand to now one hundred and twenty. That's the deal. <laughs> That's where they're at now, huh? Yeah, F two fifties and stuff are crazy. But um, that's crazy. I think I love that. Just kind of re- reiterating what you said, it's like. There's so much stuff that's out of our control. Mm-hmm. It's just, it it, is, it's all yeah. out of our control. And really, you know, there's there's stuff that happens in our past, but that's irrelevant. There's things that could happen in the future, but really all we have is right now. And yeah. recognizing things that are out of your control and, and, and being in the present seems to be a, I haven't figured out how to do it uh, entirely, but those glimpses you get at it when you're doing it, life seems to feel good. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the big thing that, I mean, for all of us, like, you, you know, you're not, invin- I mean, after something like that, you know, you're not invincible and, you know, Cannon at 18, like, like, I think a lot of his friends and most kids at 18, I certainly did too, felt like I was invincible, yeah. like whatever, you know, like all sorts of dumb decisions. But, but now, I mean, unfortunately that happened, but fortunately, like they're okay and they're, they're good and they're, they're able to continue on with life but you can't shake that you can't shake that like okay yeah no i'm not invincible like that was sudden and that could happen to anyone at any time yeah without any warning you guys um it seems like you guys have such a cool life like when i look at it like cool a cool family unit i'll say from from the outside and you guys you have like a cool skate park in the front of your house and I was watching some videos of uh, Temple and Cannon, like, ripping that. And I don't know. just seems cool. What's up with the skate park? <laughs> that was Temple's idea. You should have seen what he wanted to put in there. The wind, I mean, we moved into that house, had a big, muddy driveway, so, like, definitely we wanted to cover it up and um, knew that we were going to dive in and do concrete for a portion of it. But he had something designed with, like, an eight-foot bowl in the middle of the driveway and, like, but but we, we reeled back on that once they started they actually started to dig the hole but it was just too much i mean you can't have that kind of stuff in your driveway we live in a neighborhood with nice oh like a full-on normal neighborhood they're like older folks and most of them are retired and like it had to at least appear to be a plaza and and really it is there's planters and like there's a roundabout like it is a beautiful plaza we can have dining table in there and but there happens to be like soft corners and no 90 degree transitions so we you know built transitions in there there's a little pond and and uh and yeah the flow of it has worked out well for canon he's 
learn how to skate tight transitions. I was learning how to skate and it's just nice to, like I was saying, like, I'm really glad we didn't grow up having to take the kids to skate parks all the time because there's one in the yard. Just kick them outside. Wow. Okay. I got a question. I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking for a friend. No, I'm just asking in general, but so you have been on the cover of, um, Apple Jacks. You've had your own the cover a- of action Apple figure. Jacks. I don't know if it's a cover. Cereal magazine. You've been on the cover of Apple Jacks cereal magazine. Pop Tart magazine. You've been on Pop Tart magazine. You've been on Transworld magazine. Yep. Uh, Probably you won uh, SBs or whatever they're called at that time, Rider of the Year. You've won X Games. Um, been now, in the Olympics. You've been in the Olympics. Now, what what's cooler, like, what do you, what has been more enjoyable in your life? Because I think that a lot of times people, the the peak of life is fame, and like that's what a lot of people are after. Everybody's yeah. everybody is after. That's the like, oh, if I could win, like I will be happy. I will be. That's my, that's the ultimate goal as us as humans and pop culture. We idolize all of those things, and you've also seemed to foster a great family life and. And you guys have a cool dynamic. Like, what, what's been cooler for you? Like, being a mom or being a top pro peak level? Oh, geez. Well, of course, being a mom. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't mean, see, but you say of course, but I don't know that it's, yeah, it, people, I don't think it's of course for a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Or until they go through both, maybe. Yeah, they until don't they know, go through you know? both. Yeah, I mean, ultimately like when people want to be famous like why do you want to be famous because you want to be rich because like you want people to love you or you like you want admiration and like and if it's you want money like what do you want to do like what will that money buy you like why do you want to be wealthy so you can have more freedom and then like if you have freedom like what are you going to do with your time and like all those answers come back to family like for me I don't know. I love, I mean, I appreciate money. I like money probably more than most (laughs) (laughs) and it's okay to want more of it. But like, I'm clear that like I want more of it because I want more freedom of time with my family. And I've, you know, want those times to be more like, or less limited by financial constraints. And I want to be able to travel and like go visit other family and my family, I, my family's all still back East and, and I want to go surf more and like, but, but yeah. So being a mom for sure, because then you have a team. Wow. That was yes. a life hammer. You just dropped a life. life hammer. That was a life <laughs> hammer right there. The way you just dissected <laughs> fame and like, why is so you can be more yeah, loved? That, was, that, was, that was some straight <laughs> samurai sword, black belt samurai. stuff. You just samurai sorted us with that. <laughs> that was, that was that dope. Was great. <laughs> no, but I do think there is a there is a fallacy of like it's like it's an interesting thing like you know it, sometimes I think everybody's after uh, fame and and fortune and then it's funny when you see people that have walked that road they're kind of up there and they're waving down they're like yeah, they're hey it's not up here guys yeah. I I made it <laughs> I can assure you don't need to come up this road yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. I feel that way sometimes yeah I think that you hear that I mean so I hear a lot of fortune. 500 CEOs or whatever the top level executives aren't necessarily happy. Yeah. Like you don't, I don't know. You just got to be clear on what you want and why you want it. Cause it isn't like fame will buy you that happiness, but money can buy you happiness if you use it for freedom. 
mm-hmm. use it properly. Yeah. Yeah. There's I a think. famous quote from Jim Carrey I saw, Jim and he, he was like, "I wish everybody could be rich and famous, so they could realize that they don't. That's not it, basically. Right. In in other words, but yeah, yeah, it's cool to see somebody. But you've you've walked through all yeah, that. You've cool. been through, and it's interesting how some people go, you know, like they they really lean into that Hollywood life and that Hollywood identity and really go that direction. And you went, well, I don't. I mean, I'm. Yeah, I'm at the the ESPN awards, but I want to be with like my family or whatever. You know, I think that's a it's cool to to see how you've navigated that. I love a good award show, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Now, what is Bub's Naturals? They're a company that makes all kinds of products, but the one that I like the best is their collagen protein powder. Now, I like to take this. Mix it in a smoothie. I take two scoops, throw it in a smoothie with some blueberries, banana, almond butter, some chia seeds, uh, some some uh, oat milk. Mix it all up. You got yourself a great smoothie. And the thing that's great about it, with two scoops of collagen in there, you get 20 grams of protein. And as you get older, your body kind of loses its ability to synthesize this protein. So... You got to get it in the system if you want to keep snowboarding when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. If you want to be 110 and still be able to make twists or just turn down the hill for that matter, you got to take care of your body. So that's what's cool about Bubs. Uh, it's a company that comes from the world of snowboarding. So, you know, snowboarders for snowboarders here. And you're supporting a great brand. 10% of all of their profits go to charity. So if you want to take care of your body, head on over to bubsnaturals.com. Use promo code BOMBHOLE for 20% off. Again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code BOMBHOLE for 20% off. I usually go through about two of these jugs a month if you're getting a lot down the gullet. So again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code BOMBHOLE. All right, buds, it's time for that time. You know what time it is. It's time. I've been waiting for this. <clears throat> Delicious. Buds has been alive since uh, 1701, <laughs> and he's had a lot of beers. A lot and, of beers in my day. And uh, actually, even through Prohibition, I believe. <laughs> made it made it through Prohibition. It was yep. tough. Churning butter and things like that. How is that? How does that stack up against the Prohibition uh, moonshine? It's cheaper, and it's more fun. Cheap, fun beer. Yeah. All pub right. Beer. Uh, get yourself some pub beer. Oh, yeah. I'll play the theme song. Welcome to the Pub Beer Crab Shoot. All right, Barry, you just got to roll the dice that are in front of that Pub Beer Can. Pub Beer Can, yep. Two dice. Goon Gear logo is a six. Two dice, we'll tell you. Seven. Seven, I like this one. Is that not a seven? Goon Gear is a six. Oh, it is? It is a Goon Gear logo, okay. Seven, who is one of your favorite people to party with? Me? Uh, can I say Temple? You can say whoever you want. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what kind of party we're talking about. Well, we could give a couple. Like, all right. I mean, every night's a party with Temple. Okay. So. I mean, like, dinner party. and like, <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, a day, too. Like, I love... I love. He's fun to be around. I enjoy his sense of humor, and we uh, we have a good time. You guys party. Good That's answer. awesome. But other parties, like an awards party, awards or party. Who we got? Caitlin Farrington. 
Woo. Nice. Okay. So you ditch Temple if there's an awards party. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't want to go. He wouldn't even go. No. There's another question I wanted to ask. If you rolled a 10, it's a perfect 10. What's the biggest prize check you've ever won? Curious about that. I think 10 grand. I don't remember. I don't think they've got much bigger than that. Due to inflation, that's like 30 grand though now. True. Yeah. And I remember that was like a combo. Like there was a big air, which was a small air, and a pipe, and like a slope. That was a combo slope, win? Flow style. We had to do all three, and you had to like come out ahead of everybody after all three were crunched. So it was a lot of work. Yeah. I don't think. Claw I mean, your even way to the X top. Games, I don't think. And maybe eight grand, or maybe it was 10 at the end there. I probably wasn't winning gold when they went up above 10 grand. Okay, I'm asking for a friend. Again, another question. Hmm. No, uh, you know, sometimes people come to the bomb hole for snowboarding and they, they learn a little bit about life. Mm -hmm. But um, you guys have a great family, you and, you and Temple. Uh, what are the ingredients to a successful relationship slash family unit? Oh, well, I mean, you got to find humor. You got to have enjoy the person. I don't think that that's like something you can script out or give somebody instructions on how to find that but you need to have that connection because i mean there's a lot we, we were traveling apart for a long time and, and i mean you still like have to we had to talk on telephones and like pay phones and stuff <laughs> but um but yeah i think being able to laugh with them and and have fun with them and have those like common like i don't know how families that like don't enjoy at least some of the activities together like I don't, I don't really like to mountain bike, sorry. But, I mean, Temple loves mountain biking, but we do connect, we do have surf and snowboarding that we prioritize for each other or, like, that we like to do together. And, um, and you kind of have to get, like, on the same page with, with priorities. Otherwise, there's, there's an imbalance there. And, you know, and, and respect for the other person's priorities if they're different. I Very love true. it. This is, we're learning. Um, this is a big learning <laughs> session. What stance is everybody in your guys' family? <laughs> uh, Cannon is the only regular footer. I, was, I thought oh, you guys wow. were maybe all goofy. I was wondering no, about that. He's regular. And Temple actually kind of, I don't know when he figured this out, but when Cannon was little, I mean, we were still both pretty on the free roaming program. And uh, and we had a van and, and we traveled around, and, and I remember Temple riding with Cannon when he was this little baby, but he had him in the front pack and probably did a lot of trips, a lot of riding with, with Cannon in the front pack. So if Temp's goofy going this way and Cannon's facing Temp, he's looking down the hill regular. So we, we started to theorize that maybe he turned regular because that's how he always approached the hill because he was a baby So you used to flying, through the, mm. flying down the mountain like that. Yeah. like That's interesting. We, did a lot of hikes and nice pow trips, and he was always on the front. Always used to go in that direction. Yeah, so. That's interesting. For him, maybe that's just how he started to see the downhill motion and came naturally when he started It was skating. most comfortable. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, yeah. But a lot of goofy. goofy. goofy yeah. yeah, you're goofy. Temple's goofy. Isla's goofy. Yeah. There's a lot. I was thinking about, like, uh, goofy-footed kind of Mervin, like Jamie, uh, Jamie Lynn is goofy. Uh, Jesse Bertner's goofy. He's kind of got some goofy powerhouses over there. A lot of goofy powerhouses. Like, then there's like um, Peter Lyons, Northwest. He's goofy. 
It's you're a little, not going to play the goofy rag game with me, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but there's a lot of like <laughs> Northwest legends that are goofy. I was just thinking about that. I wonder if there's something in the water there. <laughs> yep. The old goofy rag game. So <laughs> now it's time for Name That Stance. You know what it is time for, though, is hot takes. And Ooh. I will say, Barrett, um, you and Jamie are probably named one and two for... Um, goat oh that's true um are you gonna name yourself for uh, when we get to that or no okay no. that would be so sick <laughs> that would be pretty tight all right we're started off first one we always ask the michael jordan and or goat of snowboarding both male and female who you got okay well i'm gonna give it to jamie anderson for female and for all the reasons i've probably already talked about most of them but the fact that she is a hundred percent her own. She's defining the sport as she goes. She's not doing it anybody else's way, and she's powerful and graceful. And um, yeah, and she just like she has the power to do it uh, her way, and to like for other people to follow. You know, like that's what I think of Michael Jordan. Like people will follow. He set the trend or he set the standard. And on the guys. I've tried to think about this because I knew I was coming. Mm -hmm. I was going to have to answer this question. I'm going to go with Danny Cass. Woo! I love that answer. Have we got that in here before? I think we've got it once or twice, but I love that answer. Great. Well, for a lot of the same reasons because, I mean, he, like, did it his way and he, like, you know, super fun personality and he just kind of always – I mean, he had his own goals. He wasn't going to follow a path that somebody else said. He was going to set a new standard. He, he started his own brands, and he um, went to the Olympics twice, won medals twice, lots of other medals too. But besides that, it's more like his style, his creativity, and, and now he's back giving back to the sport and coaching and influencing the next generation. Plus, he would make my top ten list of people to party with too. <laughs> so would Jamie, for sure. Solid, well-thought-out answers. Most <laughs> underrated. All right. Well, most underrated, I mean, there are so many underrated riders. I definitely, like, think Jason Robinson comes to mind. Woo! Great Solid answer. But, I mean, I mean, he's not underrated. Anybody that knows him, like, rates him right up there. But I just think that he's like, incredibly talented. Yeah. He never got the spotlight that he, I don't know, that yeah. I think he deserves. His name could be right up there with the Travis Rices and all that, like with what he's done, and you're you're spot on. That's a that's a great, great answer. Okay, next question is steel, aka rails, or powder? What do you got? <laughs> powder. <laughs> I never could hit rails. <laughs> okay. Best style ever. Best style ever? Oh, I mean it depends on the terrain. Like when I think of style like Jamie Lynn. For sure, mm -hmm. Northwest terrain and just power and flow. Um, I loved back in the day watching Victoria, you know, flow and grace. And um, these days, geez, Zoe's like that's next level style. Hadn't seen before to that extent. And then my boy Cannon. <laughs> that's dope do you think he's gonna be embarrassed that you said that or you yeah think i think he is <laughs> people are gonna be looking him up <laughs> why'd you say my name uh sick <laughs> uh okay best board graphic ever 
Jeez. I mean, you know, you know who I work for, right? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think there's just so many good ones. But, like, I think about board <laughs> graphics. Like, the reason I never got a tattoo is because I can't imagine, like, having something that I am, like, Same committed to yeah. that I don't get tired of and want to move on after a year. And so, like, board graphics are great because you can, like, be totally obsessed with something and then just move on and, and not have to write it again. Um, but I do think LibTech had some of the best early graphics and, um, you know, Matt Cummins, Pool Skater one, pretty iconic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll just go with that one. That one's dope. <laughs> you know what I just thought of that uh, speaks to me in that realm that's in the Mervin camp is the Danny Cass coffin graphic when he first hit like, oh, his yeah. first pro model. That thing is iconic. Yeah. Okay, next question. Favorite snowboard movie or maybe favorite to you? Mm. Um, well, okay, favorite to me because of the experiences that I got to have throughout filming the movie was Dynasty. And that was with Snowboarder Mag. And, and that's really like I met Temple around that time. We didn't go on a lot of trips together, but there was a few trips there together and, and, um, and just, it was the first time I'd been asked to film a part. And then that came along with not just like, Oh, we'll follow you around Vail or like cat tracks around your house, your home. But it was more like, Oh, we're going to go on these destination trips and, you know, put a group of you together and we'll just see what happens. And, and so that was pretty awesome. Uh, Chile and France and New Zealand. And, and so, yeah. I don't know if it was the best, like, I don't know if anyone else would vote for that movie. It's the best movie ever, but it was the best one <laughs> to you. For me. That's what yeah. it's all about. Okay, <laughs> if you go heli boarding, good times, three people, you're just ripping pow laps. Who are you taking? Oh, I'm sorry, but it would definitely be Temple, Isla, and Canada. The fam. I got it. Yeah. Family only. It's a perfect amount of yeah. people for the. the I fam. know. Okay, worst trend. What do you got? Worst trend? Um, like you're talking about snowboarding, right? However, you can do <laughs> lights, so you can do you snowboarding, want to, uh, interpret it, right? Choose your own adventure. I mean, mom jeans. <laughs> mom jeans. Wow. I thought okay. they were like back in style. Yeah, or they are. Right? They are. Well, no, I think they're out again. Oh, they're back they out. The fact that they're they were in, in, they're in out. Yeah. it was just like, what? I got to be honest, it tripped me out too that they came back in. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, style. People can have their own style. Yeah, it's all like going to cycle through. They'll come back, right? Yeah. The best trend. I think personal and professional development is a trend, and it's one of the best trends. Mm. I agree with that 100%. Damn. It's definitely a trend right now. It is a trend. It's almost like and it's a positive so one. much of a trend that I don't even want to talk about it, yeah. but, but I do think that it's making people better and more um, in touch with like other ways of looking at life. Yeah, more aware. More aware, yeah. Yes, 100%. It's I think opening, it's good. Opening eyes and minds. There's also a thing that I think about when you said that. It's a little contradictory, but humans have also been dealing with the same exact issues for like zillions of years. And so like Stoics write about the same shit that we're learning in personal development. Yeah. So it's not like they're new problems. Not, they're not new problems. But it's maybe just common to talk about them or something. Yeah. I'm reading this book, uh, 4,000 Weeks. And I mean. You know like, who the author is? 
No. Just I have it in we'll my bag in, out we'll there. We'll put it in the show notes. I definitely didn't want to sink myself up for having to talk literature and yeah. cite. Sometimes authors, we just but we just like to, the reader or the watchers and listeners will will go check <laughs> this Dude, book out. I got sent that book this morning. Oh you wow! Did? Somebody told me they literally just got that text. It's me. You need to read four thousand uh, weeks because yeah. it's about your life, right? Well, it's about. I mean, it's just the the math, like four thousand weeks. That's the average lifespan. How many years is that? What are we talking? Like eighty two or something. But like, think about it. Four thousand weeks. That's nothing. That's like, not that why many wouldn't weeks. you make the most out of every yeah. one of those weeks if you have a choice? And Only four thousand. Yeah, and if you're lucky, four thousand. Yeah. I mean, you might live a little longer, but could it might only be like, or, yeah, yeah. Could be, yeah, way less. It's That's crazy. Could be 200. Yeah, so if you can, like, help yourself, like. Someone like me is already halfway done here. Gotta better get moving. You got 4,000 left, bud. 2,000. And, like, what a oh, blip yeah, 2, on million. the radar we are in yeah. terms of, like, human life. And I don't know. I mean, it's. It's it's empowering, but it's also like a little discouraging. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you got to make the most, the most of it. With yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, do the most and meet people and be yeah. a good person, and not get hung up on like the details or hung up on the the to do lists and the things that you can't accomplish or like why beat yourself up. Yeah, things you can't control. Yeah, yeah. Four thousand hours. We'll put that on the old bomb hole book club. Yep. Four thousand weeks. Club. Four thousand weeks. Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully, you get more than four. Yeah, more than four thousand hours. hours. It's going to be a short <laughs> Oof, Yeah, that'd be a short one. Short one. All right, we got to talk about setups here, Barrett. Uh, the board you're riding. Um, Should I pull it out? Sure. I mean, well, they can see it over your shoulder. You can maybe yeah. just make sure you're talking to the mic. That's the most important thing. Yeah. So what What are you riding? What are the bindings, angles, the whole kit and caboodle? I'm riding the 149 Barrett. And this has, like we talked about, it has the progressive magnet traction. And 49 is kind of my sweet spot. I used to, for a while, I thought I needed a 52 or even a 55, <coughs> but I'm not that big, and I'm definitely not that strong anymore. So 49, um, it's a directional board, so it has longer nose and tail, but it also has that uh, radial entry side cut at the nose and then a little more progressive magnet traction, magnet traction as you get to the tail. Um, it's my dream board. I mean, I feel like there was a while there where... My dream board was twin. It was park and pipe, and and then I would like set it back a little bit if I was riding powder. But it was still kind of harder to ride because the camber was so aggressive, and and it was stiffer. And then and then and then I, I kind of gradually, like over the last few years, evolved into a more directional board. This thing has like carbon strips in it that uh, are like power bands that that actually add snap to the board, so it doesn't have to be stiffer and heavier to have the power and the snap that I want and, and using these carbon strips actually makes it more responsive and it's really quick edge to edge. Um, it's just fun. I mean, it's easy riding. Like I'm not, I'm not demanding a lot of my board, but I, I love that you can go fast and feel stable on it, but also like play around on it. And, and I ride the bent metal bindings. These are stylus. Um, I got actually got graphic inspiration from, Naima Antolin for this, for this, yeah. Um, and the stylus has a solid high back, and it's like I don't need a super stiff binding. I just like to be able to flex a little bit, but I do like my forward lean. And I'm probably 23 or 21 or 24 in the front and uh, zero in the back. You still have pro models? Yeah. That's the Barrett. This is but my the, 
you, she talking about her pro career was only ten years long. I know, but I, it's I'm like I'm gonna go twenty. It's more like on a it. design series now. You know, it's got your name on it. I know, but it's it's, it's a, like a design series because now I've taken all the knowledge from all the years of working on the entire board line, you know, across the spectrum, and and this is really like built out to be just the perfect free ride. Let me ask you a personal question: Do you still get royalties? No. Okay. Design That's series. been a while, yeah. <laughs> but you're also an ambassador of our yeah. sport. Yes, you know we got to make sure we take care of the ambassadors of our. Well, and talk about the knowledge sports. she has going into this board after this many years too. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's validating when you get like I think there's some pretty good awards coming out like board tests on this model and and like just to be able to like put riders on it. Like Caitlin just went to Chile on the split board nice. and like. Nice or Argentina, sorry, but I love getting feedback from other people because I don't ride enough and enough mm. variable terrain to like really test it, but to get it out on people that are riding the different. way she might, huh? Yeah, yeah, or like you know, it's not always like I generally like to ride when the snow's good, yeah, or at least like carvable and then hopefully powder. But if uh, if I can get other people testing all the boards in different terrain, then that just adds value to. I thought it was just always powder at Baker. Yeah, it's always powder. So <laughs> it seems like from over and here. It's always raining. When you're looking Seattle at the gram. <laughs> yeah. It's like raining down low and there's just always powder. Someone's jumping over a road. Yeah. No. Oh, going on. I saw a photo. You jumped the road gap. I did. Wow. One and done. Just <laughs> like, one? Did not want to do that again. Burton's never jumped it, so that's cool. I know. Well, you know, I think not I think that back when, when I jumped, actually I jumped it with Temple one day and Brad Holmes. What was that all about that day? Was it pretty scary? It was pretty good snow, but like we didn't put a lot of effort into building the run in. And I know that now, like it's it's definitely like there's a more, um, like people have put more time into like dialing in that run in because that was the scariest part. Was like literally Brad was the first one to go skier, like just no problem, like loop de loop, bumpity bump all the way in. Yeah, no stress. And then just took off, and and I was way more scared about the run-in and afraid, afraid that if, you know, you get pitched off to the side, like, there's not much room for error. And I, like, yeah, it was definitely scary. And I should have, like, just taken more care in the run-in and it would have had more fun, like, a session. But yeah. I did it once and I was like, that's okay. <laughs> you're all, I'm I'm Has Cannon jumped it yet? No. Do you, pull, do you, rub, that, do you rub that in his face when you're coming up? You're like, hey, no. I'm your mom and I actually jumped this. So. He wants to jump. He'll probably so you got to get parental permission to jump it? Or he he just... doesn't have to, but I love that he still cares oh, he'll a talk about, about what we think. Yeah. But. He'll be like, mom and dad, I think I might hit the Baker legendary road gap today. He won't. I mean, he can make his own decisions, yeah. but I do hope that he wears a helmet if he does. Well, He's really going to hate that I just said that <laughs> on camera, too. <laughs> well, uh, that pretty much does it, aside from thank yous. Yep. Barrett, you want to throw some thank yous out? Oh, so many. Um, definitely thank you to Pete and Mike, because like they built something that's really special, and I'm really grateful to have had so many years there and to continue to have that relationship and that outlet for my creativity. And, um, of course, Temple and Matt and the whole Cummins family. Thanks to the kids for being cool with mom leaving to go sit at the bomb hole. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, 
And then, yeah, like Air Blaster, those guys are true to the sport and they've continued to support us and love when like smaller brands just build something that uh, is special and that impactful. And, you know, you don't have to set your sights on being the biggest and the baddest company or rider, but like they, they definitely have achieved uh, the goal of being a unique, special brand, and, and they make good stuff. Um, lots of uh, one. Well, I already said one ball. Matt uh, keeping me fast, or as I slow down, especially. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, I mean, so many friends. So, like snowboarding is a really special place, and um, you know, I hope that I hope that I'm still doing it with my grandkids grandkids and that it's still like something to be proud of thank you guys for having me well we we appreciate so much uh everything that you did with the sport everything you've done to bolster snowboarding and uh just break down barriers and kill it and be rad while doing it and so thank you so much for everything you've done for our sport and i also want to say thank you to all of our listeners that tune in and support the show You guys kick ass, and we got another episode coming at you next Wednesday. Over and out from the bomb hole.